This podcast is brought to you by NordVPN. Support it by clicking on the link in the description that gets you a two-year plan from NordVPN for 59% off plus one month free. But also support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 10% off Vite Ramen or the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Windows keys at cdkeyoffer.com. You can also use DieString to get 3% off everything else on that website. And we'll talk about these supporters later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Toucan Tom, and today I am joined by my co-host. Uh, I guess I'll just go with Dan because I do not have a stuffed bird on hand to, to put in the camera. Right. This toy right here. I got this. Oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. That was a bad, that was a bad idea. <laughs> well, every time we start this podcast, Jesse, usually it would be this birthday cake my mom got. Actually, Reese, now she plays with it. Reese never played with any toys we got her. She didn't care. But Jesse loves toys. And so this toucan here is just something I threw in the grocery shopping cart this week for like $3. Because she does behave better if I get her a new toy every month that costs almost nothing. And it makes her so happy. But, you know, before it was the birthday cake that if she squeaks it the right way, literally just plays like, happy birthday to you the most ridiculous annoying thing ever and now she has this toucan that just squeaks but before we start podcast i'm telling you like every time whatever her latest <laughs> noise making toy is she comes up here and just starts making a noise next to me right before i press record i swear she can tell when we're starting and is just trying to get me to play with her so i don't do this for two hours <sighs> melanoise be crazy tom well yeah she is she is a Belgian Melanois who's probably too smart for her own good. I chose her after I saw her trying to twist a door handle at the kennel she was in to get inside of a room. So I was like, well, that smart, annoying one, that will be a good match for our family. She hasn't figured out doors yet, though, has she? Um, I don't know. I mean, she can open. She does open some doors sometimes. I think she mostly chooses to respect that I don't want her opening things. Honest, like, honest to God. Well, I can't remember off the top of my head. Like, do you? Does your house have knobs or or handles though? It's almost all knobs. Okay. But the one she was trying to open at the dog uh, at the place we got her was a knob. Oh so, yeah, it was. Would I bet money she could never figure it out? I I wouldn't. I just think she gets in trouble when she grabs my laptop charger, um, my girlfriend's your, hair ties that she sometimes forgets around here. Your pop filters. Carry around. What? <laughs> your pop filters. Yes, she's. This is the third one this month. Like, <laughs> and I don't know how she's. It was like up here, and then it was gone and torn apart. So I think she stood on two legs and just pulled it off, and. So she can get basically anything. I, I think she just gets in trouble and she's like, well, if this requires me doing a trick to get it. He probably doesn't want me to. Although I have to tell her once about every different type of thing like this filter here. Like she had to be told not to do it. There was something clicked in her brain one week where she was like, well, technically he never mentioned microphones, so I can probably <laughs> chew on that because it's fluffy, right? <sighs> yep. 
She's a she's an interesting dog. Tom. Every now and then she walks up to the coffee table downstairs in the living room, and then she'll just like stare at me and put her mouth on the corner and go ah. And then I'm like, no, not that either. And then she'll walk away. Yeah, the worst I had when I got uh, my dog Wendy when she was a puppy is she didn't understand that she couldn't go on desks for a while, so I had to specifically train her to not go on desks. Like if I would leave my room for two minutes, I would just. Go, I would just see her mountain goading on my desk. Yeah, mountain goading. She yeah, never I mean, destroyed anything uh, well on my desk. But Well, I told you that. I have that camera downstairs in the kitchen, and it's just that a canary that like activates if someone's in your house while you're gone. And that was really great when she, we, I first got her, because I'd be working up here, and then I don't have my phone up like a baby monitor watching the downstairs. And then one time I looked away, and then I looked back. She was just standing on the kitchen table. Just like, like not knowing why she was there. Almost like someone had teleported her there. There were several times I had to just yell downstairs. But then she started doing it for attention. Like she noticed when I do bad things, I don't know how he's omnipresent, but he seems to know. And he would, she would just start messing with something and then looking up the staircase to see if I'd tell her to do something, <laughs> trying to figure out the rules of when I know she's doing stuff. Dogs are dumb. Dogs are simultaneously very dumb and very smart, Tom. They are dumb, but not as dumb as this question from Dova. Thank you for writing in. <laughs> Does FPS stand for feats per second, frames per second, or first-person shooter? Um, I would say it stands for all three, but I think it would be confusing in a conversation where you were talking about how many frames it takes for a bullet to travel in a first-person shooter. You could still do that, though, if you wanted to. <laughs> because then all three versions of that acronym would be present in one sentence. Oh, well, that's true. Although I will say, I'm wondering, did this person misspell it, or is this person European? It's feet per second. Right, maybe, because in Europe you'd say meters per second. Here we just say feet per second. So yeah. I think this person's tipping their hand as European. That is the one that it definitely isn't. Get good. QH Freddy writes in and says, what's the most spammy or co collaboration advertising or service offer you've gotten from a legit business? Um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, most like advertisement requests that go into the Moore's Lazard email account are turned down. Um, the most spammy types that I get. And I mean, there's all different types of annoying types of advertisers I have to deal with sometimes. The ones that you see Every, like every month, the, the main reason I'm working with them is because they're easy to work with. And they don't do things like say, hey, your ad has to be in the first 30 seconds and be four minutes long. Like mm -hmm. that's a quick way for me to just say, doesn't really matter what you pay me. I'm going to lose subscribers if I put the ad that way. But in terms of the word spammy, there are these like Chinese no-name companies that will like, will just be like happy home. Mm -hmm. or we w i travel we travel or something like that and they'll just email me and go we want you to use make an ad for a usb bank or a wi-fi extender can you make it a 10 minute video review for free we'll send you this 10 dollar power bank and then you make us a 10 minute dedicated video about it we think it will bring prosperity to your channel and can i'll you say make about it, three three dollars per video right tom yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't know where this is coming from. And I'll just go, well, I mean, if you want a 45 to two minute ad, depending on what the budget is, sure. And I t 
typically mandate first half to around the middle of the video. I don't want it to be in the beginning. I really want to get hit the ball, hit the ground running with every video so people at least see a, a decent amount of chunk of what we're going to talk about before we get to an ad. And then they'll be like, well, what if we pay you $50 and now it's five minutes and is in the first two minutes? And I'm like, what planet are you on? <laughs> no, like you're, I'm over here and your offer is like all the way over here and has all these requirements that will make people hate their life if they have to watch this. So, and then they'll just keep replying. Well, what about this? And I'm like, well, that's you're when, not listening. No, that's, that's just, the most spammy offers. That's when you just block the email address. I feel like I don't know. It's well, then they'll just go. Well, but you know, what if you actually, you know, you say you don't typically do dedicated videos, which I just don't. I don't do those weird videos that are just like this is a gaming chair. I'm gonna talk about it for ten minutes. Um, what would the actual requirement be for that? And I'll just say, you know what? Honestly, I've never done a video like that. Here's actually what it would cost. And they'll be like, bye. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, you've got to account for loss of subscribers. The fact that this is the content I'm making this week instead of a real video. So you've got to pay a lot for me to ever consider that. And they, I just, I don't know. I guess they just pray on smaller YouTube channels. And every now and then I'll see one of those smaller ones. And I'm like, oh no, they accepted it. I know that person was paid $20 to make that 10 minute video. And it's, I just don't know if people understand you don't have to do that. You really don't. You just no. have to tell them no. And then most sponsors will be reasonable and meet you halfway. And the ones that won't are not worth your time. <laughs> no, they're definitely not. I mean, you've sent me some of the, some, emails before from spam advertisers and it's just like i i don't even know what planet these people are on <laughs> well they're not on a planet they're in another region of the world where apparently some people accept that stuff um although i always wonder is it just like one out of a hundred or a thousand doing that's the only reason they put these ridiculous things out there that's my guess actually is most people say no but then there's some people that think they have to start somewhere and i would just say if you're starting there you're never gonna go anywhere but yeah. Um, Dead Eyes one one seven writes in and says, "Tom, and this is starting corrections by the way, which I actually have some this week. And the latest loose ends, a reader mail started a discussion about APU RAM usage that I would like some clarification on. At the time, it sounded like you were saying the APUs were utilizing a maximum of eight gigabytes of RAM for the GPU as a best case, depending on what you configure in the BIOS. And in many cases, the BIOS only lets you configure to four gigabytes." Looking into it myself, it seems like these four gigabyte and eight gigabyte limits are just the system dedicating the capacity to only the GPU. But if the game spills over that amount, it will still dynamically allocate additional memory as needed with no performance loss. For instance, the Steam Deck's default setting is only one gigabyte. You can manually change it to a maximum of a four. I've seen one benchmark runs on Steam Deck's well over four gigabytes of VRAM too. It looks to me like it is behaving as unified memory. That setting only makes sure that is a certain minimum memory available to the GPU. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was true because, uh, you know, in my testing of Rembrandt, generally speaking, it seemed to not have a performance hit like you would see in the 6500 XT if it used more than 4.5 gigabytes of RAM or something, you know? Mm -hmm. But it, it, when it was configured in the BIOS for 4 gigabytes. But at the same time, toggling that setting did seem to have a slight benefit. And I would just argue, I don't really get why that toggle's there then. 
I don't get it. I, uh, the If the argument is, well, we're making sure the system RAM never goes over this much for the VRAM, that makes some sense to me. But I would still think, I don't. I just remember, like I think it was with AMD Kavari, where they were like, "We're going to have unified memory, and you don't need to worry about this ever again." Now that this things pop back up in the menu, I still find it weird, and I still, to me, seems like it could be handled more eloquently, but, but I, or I, elegantly. Yeah, yeah elegantly. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think it would make more sense if it could just fluidly switch between the two if it's using a shared pool. The only thing I can imagine is maybe having that amount of RAM pre-allocated for your GPU when you have an APU is just simpler from like a coding perspective because other systems have a, their own separate pools for RAM and GPU. I mean, yeah. for CPU system and GPU. What this would basically suggest is it's telling your computer to pretend it only has, like if you have 16, uh, 12 gigabytes of DDR5 so that you don't fill up the DDR5 and run into running out of VRAM, because VRAM is more important. Um, but if that's true, I still find it weird how on a lot of BIOSes, I can only configure it to 4 gigabytes with the same APU, mm-hmm. but then some allow 8 gigabytes. Why is it 4 and 8? Why can't I do 12, 16? It's, it seems to have well, only a set amount of options. You'd think it should allow me to do as high or as low as I want, and I just find it weird I have to think about that at all. Is it just half of system RAM or something, or it no seems like that with one of my systems, okay. but that didn't seem to be the case with another one. Okay, interesting. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I I wonder if this answer we provided to this question will be the source of another correction next week. <laughs> I mean, next episode. No, but I think this is a. I think I saw Steve from Hardware and Box say something to me on Twitter um, that that seemed to kind of be this as well. Um, I think this is a worthy correction because mm-hmm. we're making it previously sound like you literally it like we're making it sound like if you go over eight gigabytes and configured in the BIOS with a APU, it's going to have a 6500 XT level performance drop in my testing. It doesn't, but I still can't help but look at that and then go, well, in not all of them, but in some of the games I tested it seemed to be trying to stay within that four gigabytes like my 6500 XT did, mm-hmm. where some textures were coming in uh, with, you know, murkiness instead of full textures. If there was no downside, then they should just be streaming in like that, no issue. But yes. They're not. So there still <laughs> seems to be some down da- downsides to this. And when you say, well, it just allocates more VRAM once it goes over four or eight gigabytes, well, yeah, but it's all on the DDR5, so there won't be the same performance hit that you would get with the 6500 XT anyways. Yeah, because, I, I mean, it, they're not actual distinct pools of RAM. Right. So I think the answer is actually in between what you're saying, Dead Eyes, and kind of what me and you made it sound like. I think it is kind of working like a graphics card. It's just you're not getting the performance that you would get with the graphics card because it doesn't need to leave the graphics card, go to the RAM, and come back to with the extra data. Mm-hmm. But it still seems weird to me. It works that way. It 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 just does, and that isn't how some older APUs handled it. And I wonder why. I mean, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I I'm not fully sure, so <laughs> I'm not yeah. an engineer. Well, I look forward to the next correction on this one. Maybe we're not perfect. <laughs> TMC Payton writes in, and he says, in Broken Silicon 2.15, you claim that every component is in a better state than previously, with the notable exception of graphics cards. 
That's not what we said. I believe you omitted current motherboard pricing, although we didn't mention mother. Well, if we'd mentioned mother, I don't think we mentioned motherboards that much in that last episode, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if if you're saying you omitted motherboard pricing, like if you didn't talk about motherboards, that's not wrong, really. No, but I mean, like, but you claimed every component is better. We didn't. We said most components, right? And not every component is always better every year is how I would also put it. Yeah, I mean, just speaking for myself, like I, I think when talking about this subject, um, I'm not sure if this is a typo because he said 215, not 214, which I think would have been the last one I was on. But um, well, or the no, the guest, the last one was a guest episode where we talked about this. So that's okay. probably what he's talking about, actually. Yeah, I mean, just from my own perspective, I think what I've said is I think the floor is probably a bit higher than it used to be, but not as high as some people are making it out because. Uh, I mean, when you adjust for the increase in gaming, I mean, in GPUs, I mean, if you look at the other components, those are all kind of cheaper right now than they would have been in the past. So it balances out to not being that much worse than it has been. And if you adjust for inflation, it's really not, the market's really not in as dire of a place as people act like it is. Yeah, well, so anyways, though, I do take some issue there, TMC Payton, because you say, we're saying every component not every, but a lot of them, like SSDs and RAM, is pretty much cheaper than I think it's ever been. Um, actually, for SSDs, I believe it literally is cheaper than it's ever been per gigabyte. Um, it's getting cheaper than it is per gigabyte for some hard drives. Um, and then for RAM, it's pretty dang close to cheaper per gigabyte than it's ever been. But it's also better RAM than it used to be as well. So keep in mind, those gigabytes aren't the same. Um, but anyways, his question continues. At my local Micro Center, sub $230 X670 boards don't exist. Sub $200 Z790 boards aren't common and are bad quality. And honestly, my VRM throttle 13900K. Well, yeah, well, the 13900K uses like quadruple the energy of old i7. So <laughs> there's a reason old motherboards didn't throttle, you know, a lot of them. But let me look this up, actually. X670. Yeah, you say sub $230 X670 boards don't exist at your micro center. Well, okay, they do on Newegg, and that's available in every state, so. I mean, <laughs> he says, he says, yes, I'm aware AM4 and B series boards exist. Well, okay, here's my problem, TMC. If you are aware AM4 and B series motherboards exist, that invalidates your argument. The fact is, if you want to do a low end build, you can get a 5800X30 for $250 right now that wipes the floor with most CPUs and gaming. And you can get a $100 AM4 motherboard that wrecks systems from years ago for cheaper despite inflation. So, what is this before? Any time me and Dan or the guests from the last Broken Silicon talk about where pricing is for components right now, we can never possibly mean in all of history because I haven't gone back and checked every year for the past 40 years. But what I do know is that my X570 board costs 450 freaking dollars. And a lot of X5, and it's a really high end one that came with a sound card. But yeah, I mean, X570 boards launched for $200 to $500. I think the cheapest B550 board for Zen 2 when it came out was like a base, I think almost as cheap as some of the cheap X670 boards now. So yeah. I, I don't know what's going on here. Like a lot of these new motherboards when they launched were as expensive as they are now, if not more expensive. And if you bring up 10 years ago, 
Well, the motherboards 10 years ago were shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like they didn't have half the USB ports. They didn't have any of the capabilities they have now. And so, you know, the last broken silicon with that retail source of mine, uh, where we talked about, well, we can't possibly go back through all of history. I can go back five years and say a high-end system was a $500 Coffee Lake 8-core, a $1,300 2080 Ti. That's a third the performance of a 4090. And RAM and storage were more expensive than now. So I can say that overall now is better than not just one, two, or three years ago. It's better than five years ago overall. Yes, if you're getting a low-end GPU, it's not as cheap, but your SSD is cheaper. Your RAM's cheaper. Most other things are cheaper. So I I don't... I'm... Okay, motherboard prices are more expensive for some segments, maybe, but not if you're talking about X570 when it came out. There's always ebbs and flows in this market, and this is clearly a better time to do a build than it was for quite a while now. Um, compressed earth blocks in a similar vein writes in and says, hello, Tom In broken silicon 215 at around the 44 minute mark. You mentioned pricing is getting better for every component, but you mentioned the CPUs back in 2012 were never this cheap or powerful. I disagree. Wolfdale or Callisto, which was core two E eight, four XX or Phenom two times two were absolute monsters in the sub $100 CPU market at this point. And you had the option for Phenom two times four core I threes at Sandy bridge that were sub 200 closer to 150 for the Phenom 2, which are absolutely smashed 1080p60. Remember, in 2012, and even for years before 2012, was an era where even the cheapest PC hardware absolutely crushed games because 7th gen consoles were so weak in comparison. Right. They were weak in comparison. You know, slow clap for beating a six-year-old console that cost 180 new at that point. Like, Yeah, and I don't know. What's that? You're talking about something that, I mean, the Xbox 360 in that example launched without a hard drive. I You're mean, stronger this, than it six years later? Surprise. Isn't this kind of comparable to today getting a, like Alder Lake i3 or something? I mean... That's my point. And I'm actually going to have Gerard put this on screen. I looked up Phenom 2 times 4 which to anyone who tries to remind me and Dan about that, Dan owned one. I remember. <laughs> I built it with him. I know what the Phenom 2 times 4 was, and it ran games at 50 frames per second half the time. Yeah. Like, like now... Th- there, were, there were just games that, like, arbitrarily, uh, seemingly arbitrarily, just w- refused to run on the Phenom X2 in 2012. Like, right. I remember specifically Assassin's Creed 3. I could not oh, get yeah, that, that game... Oh, yeah, that one is one, actually. I yeah. could not get that game above, uh, like, 30 frames... No, I couldn't get that game above like 24 frames per second. And I later had to switch to a uh, pile drive. from all the way back in 2012. Sorry, I just double checked that. That's crazy to me. Go on. And I later switched to a pile driver. Had to switch to a pile driver CPU (laughs) for stupid reasons. Um, But my frame rate in certain games doubled when I switched to the pile driver CPU. Which Which was weird. Which I found funny because they're were frequently advertised as being on the same tier of performance, and I would argue Piledriver was easily better. But. Well, there was a certain point where those four Phenom cores were getting pretty old. Yeah. But here's Go my on. point, though, compressed earth blocks. Like, yeah, the Phenom 2s were cheap, but they were cheap. You make no... Uh, didn't you get yours for, like, around 100 bucks? that Phenom 2 times 4? Oh, I don't, I don't even think it was that. I think I was, like... I think I got it for... Like 80, maybe. I want to say between 80 and 100, maybe $86 from Amazon yeah. or something. Um, you know, 
Yes, that was cheap. Yes, that was cheap for four cores back then. But it lost to Sandy Bridge I3s. And it struggled in some games to even hit 60. Yeah, and some it could do 80 or 90. But it struggled to hit even 60 in like popular games like Far Cry 3. And I don't see how that's better than now where you can get... I remember get, having trouble getting above 45 frames per second in that with that feature. Oh, well, there you go. There's a direct... Again, we have this CPU, Compressed Earth Blocks. How is that better Better than now, when you can get an R5 5600 for 120 that does 144 hertz, no issue. Or if you spend 250, you can get a 5800 X3D that does over 200 hertz. A decade ago, nothing did over 200 hertz, even for $400. So no, no compressed earth blocks. Like CPUs back then are not as good of a deal as now. They're not. They're yeah, not. And, and, there were cheaper offerings, but they struggled to even run 60. And even if you make the argument, well, 30 to 60 was the standard back then. And I agree. Well, great. But now if you spend that much, you can do 144. Uh, and that's if, better than struggling to even hit 60 for its time. And if you're ultra dedicated to this sub $100 market, there's no new, no, no real new CPUs that are coming out that are that, but you can buy an i3, an Alder Lake i3 from four below $100 right now. And that will get you generally decent gaming performance. That will probably game better now than that Phenom did back then at a similar price to what you paid back then. Yeah. So, no, I and, and that's how I wanted to close on these reader mails that these are the two we decided to answer here. Guys, I'm going back and looking at old stuff and it's making me more confident in my opinion. The yeah. fact is, if you want to save money, you can get AM4 or some cheap Alder Lake socket motherboards, by the way, and just get an Alder Lake i3 or a Zen 3 or a Zen 3 X3D for comparable pricing before we even talk about inflation to what yeah, you could get it, a decade ago. And it's a better experience. SSDs have never been cheaper. RAM's cheap. Motherboards for some of the high-end ones are more expensive, but they're way higher quality than what you got before. And graphics cards in the high-end are getting much... Sixteen hundred dollars for a forty ninety, way better deal than thirteen hundred for an eleven gigabyte twenty eighty Ti in its day. The twenty eighty Ti did not max out everything the way the forty ninety does, and in the low end, it kind of is crappy. But you're never going to get everything perfect in the same year. No, you're never. It, it, it's just honestly, I think people forget about these things because they just don't really get any coverage. Uh, in the news, like, because nobody reads a review. For, no one really reads reviews for i3s. Like, let's just be honest. Most people don't. They Most people look at the i5, the i7, the i9s, and AMD's equivalents to those. Um, no one cares about the uh, i3-12100F, even though, I don't know, I'm looking at TechSpot's review of it from two, uh, two years ago, right? Yeah, about two years ago. Eh, it got... Uh, 162 frames per second on average in their 1080p benchmarks. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's a lot better than what you were getting with a Phenom 2 for the same price. Yeah. And back then, when they reviewed this, it would have been, I think, 120, 130 bucks. But still, it's just th this market isn't that bad. There are, there are sub $100 gaming CPUs that you can buy if you're willing to not buy current gen, which I don't know why you would be so dedicated to buying current gen because I don't really think previous gens are so much worse that you should care like alder lake and uh raptor lake uh, like alder lake's not really that much worse it's basically the same architecture i know i know and it's so much cheaper 
Um, well, I mean, and just to put a pin in this conversation, let me just check one thing here. Like if I want to get an X670E motherboard, seems like there's plenty around 300. Here's one from ASRock for 260. Here's an MSI one for around 300. I just want to see like, what is the connectivity on this crazy thing? Uh, let's see. You get, of course, up to, you get three PCIe slots. Um, yeah, okay, so that's actually what I wanted to see. You get four SATA, six gigabit per second, four times M.2. And how many USB ports do you get on this? I mean, I'm not going to read all of it. it. The answer is, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember when I built my Ivy Bridge system, and I think it supported, like, five SATAs and that's it for storage or something. And I was like, whoa, now you can support like three or four M.2s, six SATAs, eight to 10 US. Like it, guys, guess this motherboard's $300. But to, and, you know, to kind of actually even go back to what TMC Payton said, right. So get AM4 with a 5800X3D or go high end and 310 is going to get you so much more connectivity at such higher speeds than we used to get. That's why it costs more. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to buy it. You can buy AM4 with a 5800X3D. I'll guarantee you your frame rates are going to be fine. You know? So, it nothing's directly... Like you said, Dan, it's hard to do one-to-one comparisons because things change, standards change. And yeah, if you're hell-bent on a one-to-one comparison of this kind of motherboard or this $350 graphics card, the exact comparison off- offering is probably not as good. But if you spend a little more or want to save more, there's really good deals right now. Yeah, and I'm I mean, just con- I'm more and more convinced the more I look at the examples some of you are sending me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to an extent it's missing the for- uh, forest for the trees. Where it, it, in your effort to like try to do like the quote unquote objective comparison, you're forgetting from a functional standpoint what matters. Hmm. Right, and you know. It's really cheap and easy clicks to just try to get everybody mad and tell you everything sucks. But mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not doing clicks for anger. We're looking at the facts. They're pretty damn convincing if you turn down the angry knob. Um, but anyways, let us now turn up the AMD knob when we move on to story number one. Ever feel like people are watching you or tracking your every move? Well, here's the thing. Well, Jesse here is likely overly paranoid about the squirrels and elementary school kids walking by our house every day. She wouldn't be that paranoid when it comes to the risks you are taking going online without a VPN, and that's why this piece of content is brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN is a service that gives you safe and private access to the internet by encrypting your connection and hiding your IP address and online activity from spying eyes. This is useful for many practical reasons. NordVPN blocks malware and intrusive ads. It makes browsing not just safer, but appreciably smoother by identifying and removing malware-ridden files and stopping you from landing on malicious websites. You see, that's important because if you subscribe to NordVPN, you're paying for more than just privacy that almost any VPN can claim they offer. They're also giving you more safety and a smoother browsing experience as well. You're paying for something Furthermore, NordVPN stands by their products. They offer a 30-day money-back guarantee and are even offering a huge discount with free months right now at the link in the description. 
Clicking on this link helps Moore's Law is Dead tremendously. It also helps keep you safe and happy while you're browsing online or streaming the content you want from regions all over the world. Support Moore's Law is Dead and try out NordVPN in the link in the description today. RX 7900 Golden Rabbit Edition 7900, 7800, and 7700 details emerge all over the place from various sources. All right, here is the write-up. Over the past couple of weeks, there's been a flurry of leaks and even a release of new RDNA 3 graphics cards. First, let's start off with that 7900 Golden Rabbit Edition. It has 80 compute units clocked at a rather low 2.2 gigahertz, 16 gigabytes of relatively slow 18 gigabit per second GDDR6, and a 260 watt TDP. It also utilizes that Navi 31 slash 32 hybrid package exclusively leaked by this channel uh, months ago now and performs actually only about 10% better than the 6800 XT, around 20% worse than the 7900 XT. Now, what's truly odd, though, is not only does this card, the 7900 GRE, have 80 compute units and slower memory, which no source I spoke to in the U.S. said was a variant of this card, but it also keeps two dummy memory controller dies on the package. So think about what I'm saying here. This thing seems to be artificially lowly clocked, and dumped in low volumes with the cheapest RAM, and it still has two dummy memory controller dies enabled, or I'm sorry, included in the package. I think this is AMD dumping excess 7900 XT stock into China so they don't have to ship it even overseas uh, in large numbers outside of system integrators. I legitimately <laughs> think, because this is something I've heard everybody multiple times, that AMD really did think the 7900 XT would sell well at $900. They made a ton of them. People didn't like it. And they're going to have to have some way of dumping some closer to where they manufacture it. I think that's what this is. Indeed, though, it does have a $649 US MSRP, which is odd. And there is a good, but there is a good chance, in my opinion, this isn't the true 7900 or 7800 XT. Sources I talk to still think there could be a 70 compute unit model coming to the US and European Union. Probably is a 7800 XT. And also, I just want to point this out. It's at 2.2 gigahertz. That's really slow for RDNA 3. Mm -hmm. I think 70 compute units clocked at 2.6 gigahertz, which would be like 25% faster. I, um, I think that in 20 gigabit per second memory would beat this. 20, so it has 12.5% fewer cores. Um, yeah. And with 20% faster memory and... 10%, uh, 11% faster memory. Oh, yes. I don't know how I got 20 there. 10% <laughs> faster memory and um, and like 25% higher clock speeds. I don't know why it wouldn't be faster than this. Which, exactly. Holy, if they're going to try to sell this as a 7900, the, the thing you're talking about in like the rest of the world outside of China... It better be that much faster. They have no right calling it anything other than a 7800 XT. <laughs> Maybe even 7800 for if it's that much, if it's only that much more powerful than a 6800 XT. Right. And, and but, but but so this card's very weird. I, I my theory continues to be, and some of my sources think this is true. This is literally AMD dumping that excess 7900 XT stock and just having an option to dump into China anytime they make too many 7900 XTs. And eventually there could still be a 7800 XT that is effectively the exact same performance. Um, 
and still fits within Navi 32 boards. But that's probably not coming for a while, according to the people I talked to. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, interestingly, I did also have a leak come out a week ago. I said the most they charge for a 7,900 card is 649. That's what they're charging. So right on that. And I also leaked that 100% AMD is announcing the 7,800 and 7,700 at Gamescom, or at least that's the plan now. So buy Gamescom, I guess I also say. And then also those cards are to be priced between 500 to 550 for the 7,800 and 400 to 450 for the 7,700. And therefore, looking at these prices, 650 for a 7,900 GRE, I think once we see that, we can say that any price drop to the 7900 XT is unlikely to be below 750. And it kind of lines up that they want to still try to keep that at 800. Um, and you can see the price is gravitating back towards that right now, by the way. And I also think that means that, yeah, we're not we're not going to see below 500 for the 7800 as well. And it's, it's probably going to be 550. So it's like literally like the performance difference between them. Um, and so is there anything else here? Oh, uh, and the other thing I want to say is that the Radeon GPU pricing, which was the main focus of the video I put out last week, has likely bottomed. That doesn't mean I don't think there will be comparable deals to what we saw before from time to time, but do not expect better deals than a $800 7900 XTX or $700 7900 XT for the rest of the year. And they're probably actually going to cost a bit more than that. And People will, I'm sure, message me, by the way, in a month and say, here, I got a 7900 XT for 820. Great. It was 800 two months ago. Bottomed does it means that's the floor. If you're around there, I will believe you. But I don't think you were seeing $700 XTXs or $600 7900 XTs. It's clear that, that some supply has been throttled by these companies because of bad sales. It's also clear from sources I talked to that sales are picking up pretty quickly that they finally found the pricing where people are happy to buy. And then we're going into back to school sales and uh, holiday sales, which usually raise prices a bit as well. Um, I think a lot of times, by the way, Black Friday, people miss the point. Like, yes, Black Friday was cheaper than the week before, but it's usually more than the month before. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyways, though, and I also want to say, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if some NVIDIA cards keep getting cheaper. Again, I think a lot of people are going to message us in a month and say, you said price is bottom. Now the... 4080 is $1,000. Yeah, I said it probably will be. There's still going to be some products that are wildly overpriced relative to others that still need to find their equilibrium. But I think most of RDNA 3 has. Um, so there we go. That was a lot. I decided to make it one story. What are your thoughts on the 7900 uh, Golden Rabbit Edition? Uh, what are your thoughts on the 7800, 7700, and just what's happening to GPU pricing in general? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess it didn't fully register for me for some reason, how low clock the GRE was. So that gives me some hope at a 70 compute unit, uh, 7,900 slash 7,800 being not really stupid. Uh, but but um, yeah, see, seeing that level of performance, I mean, I guess if the 7,900 or whatever we get, the Navi 31 slash 32 hybrid thing, whatever version of that we get, uh hopefully is like decently stronger than a 6800 xt and hopefully they can sell that for something like i don't know 650 i mean maybe 600 i don't know what price the 7900 xt is going to settle at fully but like if that settles at like 750 it's mostly for china and system integrators i don't think i've heard the volume i wasn't given an exact number but one of my sources told me the volume on this is extremely low it's probably just like dumping five thousand extra units or i i don't want to put a number on it i don't know how many it is but 
that's what they're doing is dumping a certain amount extra. But no, I, I mean, like now going to the whatever hybrid version of Navi 31 slash 32 is going to come to the States. Like, I, I, I like, so what will be the 7900 or the 7800 XT, which given the performance of the Golden Rabbit edition, should definitely be called the 7800 XT. <laughs> uh, hopefully that's something like uh, 600 to $650, depending on where they decide to settle the new price of the 7900 XT app, which will, I don't know, I think 750 makes sense for it if the 7900 XTX settles at like 900 but that's what i'm suspecting i think i think if they do any price drops we're going to see 900 750 to 800 and then 550 450 250 for the 7600 yeah Yeah, i mean and i think that's about it if they don't want the if they want the 7900 xt to stop being overshadowed by the xtx it needs to be uh $150 $150 cheaper. It can't just be $100 anymore. Well, that's the thing. It's 20% weaker. So if I take $750 and multiply it by 1.2, you get to $900. So it's still not really a, a better deal, arguably, than it. I'd still say it gets you to a level of performance that's enough for some people with more than 16 gigabytes of RAM, 20 gigabytes. So that's worth mentioning. You know, there are certain amounts of overkill where it really is kind of just wasted frames for some people, depending on what games they play. But still, I, I would agree. Like, I, mean, I, I would almost go as far as to think they may drop the price to like 800 and then 850, but I don't, I don't see them getting much more aggressive. Yeah, than 750 and 900. And the sales data I've seen in the past week is that they don't need to be. That the second they went to 800, they just sold out. Like, yeah. I, I, so, but yeah, with the 7900 XT, I, I think we both agree it'll probably be settle around 750. Which hopefully, with the announcement of these new cards. Uh, or card slash cards, they d- just do an official price drop to mo- not make the pricing look stupid uh, in comparison with their other offerings. Um, I think, like what we've talked about before, this uh, uh, the 7800 XT slash 7900, whatever it actually gets called, should probably be like 600 to 650. I think I would argue 600 is, makes more fair in this one the 7900 slash 7800 XT, whatever that is. Yeah, if that ever comes out. Well, I mean, look, it's going to be probably about the same performance as the 7900 GRE. Less compute units clocked faster. More balance because they'll have faster memory. I mean, I think... I mean, yeah, you'd be looking at something that is pretty firmly in between the 6900 and 6950 XT. So I think 600 for a 7800 XT is just basically replacing the 6950 XT. We're using less energy. And then the other stuff in the lineup, I think they can probably just do like a clean $100 for the 7700 XT, and then, I don't know, maybe minus $70 to $100 to get to the 7700. Uh, Yeah. And with that, I think they'll have a pretty competitive lineup against what NVIDIA has to offer. It just depends how aggressive they want to be. Um, it sounds like they're going to be more aggressive than they were in the past, but in the past they were kind of stupid. But I think if they if they want to go for the kill, it's four hundred and five hundred. You know, five hundred dollars for the seventy eight hundred, which is slightly weaker than the forty seventy probably, uh, but has sixteen gigabytes of RAM. I think that's a good product. That's a good level of performance for the price. Um, that actually gives you the amount of RAM people want. And then $400 for the 7700 would be, again, a good 
middle ground between the 7600 and 7800 that makes the 4060 ti just look absolutely stupid oh yeah like uh, and would 450 make the 4060 ti look stupid i mean yeah it'd it'd probably be 20 percent faster with 50 percent more ram so they can get away with 450 but anything below 450 is where i think it just starts like that's just the card i recommend below 500 all of a sudden it's just up to them if they want to do that which you know actually on this note i guess let's bring it up um let's say let's say it's just 450 uh or 500 430 and 600 for a 7800 xt what happens to your i mean already we didn't really like the lovelace cards around that those price points but do you think do you think the 4070 like looks as dumb as the 4080 does at that point or like you know, rel- because it's kind uh, of a similar comparison, right? I, I mean, at, at this point, it's turn it's just turning into the tier of performance you're getting from AMD is priced a hundred to seventy dollars below what Nvidia's offering. And I guess Nvidia's counter argument is, well, you get DLSS and uh, boot frames with us as well, yeah. aka frame gen. <laughs> right. So you just think this would? It's just the same situation as like. As like the, I don't even know which one to compare it to. Let's say the 7900 XT to the uh, 4070 Ti, where it's like a little cheaper, clearly stronger, like 50% more RAM or more. And like, obviously, I recommend that over the NVIDIA option if it's cheaper, right? Yeah, uh, that seems to be what this entire gen is turning into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, and I just continue to think like, it I, I'm hearing rumblings that like NVIDIA has like cut all Lovelace production almost here. And like they're just fine. You won't buy it, then you won't buy it. We don't care anymore. This is the mm-hmm. chance for AMD to take market share. This didn't happen during Ampere where they overproduced graphics cards and stuffed the channels. They're not this time. AMD, you can take market share. That's where I just hope it's like, God, it would just look so clean if the lineup was 900, 750, 600, 500, 400 like done and then you pump them out because i don't know i mean lovelace i think should lose some price on the market i saw a 4070 ti below msrp the 4080 keeps going below msrp but if they're going to cut production it's probably not going to go that much below it and amd could just really take this holiday season i feel like um even though they fumbled the launch but i guess we'll see if they even want to yeah i mean the only thing that i think would limit amd is how how much can you uh how much can you uh, uh, fix the damaged reputation of RDNA 3 for having a, a bad launch? Like, if they just... The cards aren't... None, none of them are bad. They were just... The, their pro, uh, launch was just completely fumbled. And you would think that they could remedy that by offering insane pricing to get market share. But eh, I don't think that's how it always works. Once the brand is damaged a little bit, the brand is damaged. Well, the XTX sold well the whole its whole life. It's outselling the 4090s. I don't think that's true. No, no. I think us people obsess about this because it's our job to, and we forget it's selling well. No, yeah, the 7900 XT still. isn't. So that one needs to be cheaper, AMD. <laughs> but it's just when you read stuff online, you, I guess, you can lose track of that because when you like read people posting on forums, you still see people worried about getting a 7900 XTX because of the overheating issue, which was. <laughs> known immediately to be 
pretty, not immediately, but pretty close to immediate, like after I believe a couple weeks, it was known that it was like one bad uh, stock of them. Yeah. That it it was an isolated incident and there's literally no reason to be concerned about it at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see soon enough. I mean, what is it? Gamescom is in a few weeks, so... A um, few weeks, yeah, a few weeks. Uh, so a little under a month. Yeah. So you know, we'll be discussing this if not in the news episode, uh, the next news episode, the one after that, in detail. Any final thoughts on these cards or where graphics card pricing is or any of this? Uh, no. Okay. We've talked about it a lot <laughs> lately. <laughs> I know. All right. Well, let's move on then to story number two. AMD AM5 Ajisa update adds DDR5 a thousand support. Has Zen 4 had its DDR5 support fixed? Quoting from Tom's Hardware, According to several Reddit, Twitter, and Tech Power Up reports, AMD has massively improved DDR5 memory support on the AM5 platform with a new microcode update known as the GISA 1.0.0.7b. The update allows some boards to push DDR5 frequencies as high as 8,000 MHz without issue and boost the optimal 1 to 1 ULCK to MEM clock ratio to 6400. Gigabyte and ASRock have already published stability runs with the new BIOS update, showing off 8,000 speeds and 7,200 working perfectly on an OS X670E Master and X670E Tachi. Only a few AM5 motherboards have the new microcode update for now, but the update should become more readily available over the next couple of weeks with DDR5 6400 instead of 6,000 before, becoming mm-hmm. the new easy speed to run on basically every CPU, and DDR5 7200 being relatively expected if you put effort into it, with even DDR5 8000 speeds being obtainable relatively easily with some tuning according to overclockers like Buildzoid. Although it must be noted, early testing seems to show minor performance uplifts in most apps between even DDR5 6000 and DDR5 8,000. It doesn't seem like Raptor like where you can gain another easy 5 to 10 percent, shouldn't say easy, uneasy 5 to 10 percent performance boost by going to that speed increase. So, I don't know. In some ways, this was a development that should make everyone happy, although it would obviously have been interesting if the 7950X gained another 10 percent in performance from fast RAM. It seems that DDR5 6000 was selected as the target for a reason. That is where there are immense diminishing returns in performance for the architecture interface. But if you bought slower RAM, don't feel bad. You aren't missing out. And don't worry about the future as well, because now Zen 4, according to Buildzoid, might support faster speeds than Raptor Lake. So this kind of came out of nowhere, Dan. I thought it was worth mentioning because of how often a certain shade of fanboy brings it up. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I think it's good news. Faster clock speeds are better. Transfer speeds. Transfer. Yeah, sorry, transfer speed. Uh, Every time... You say clock speed with RAM, people get mad at you. Uh, <laughs> Which, don't get mad at me. I was quoting Tom's Hardware, guys, when I said mm-hmm. megahertz. Yeah, pe- even uh, the most professional outlets seem to use them interchangeably a lot of the time, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it's obviously good news. It's not as noteworthy, given the fact that it doesn't really seem to benefit performance that well. But it, you wonder if this will you know, benefit the platform, at least going on into the future. But that, yeah. that, that's about the most I can imagine right now. I mean, every gaming benchmark I looked at, which there isn't a ton as far as I can tell right now, it's like uh, you get a few frames per second in some uh, games. So not really that notable. Yeah, I'm just looking around. It seems, it, it, I don't even think it gives you like 5% most of the time here. No, I'm looking at, 
No, doesn't even give you that. So this is your DDR5 6000 was clearly the diminishing returns. There's a reason AMD focused on that for stability. But at the same time, this puts to rest, you know, I'd say every like few news episodes, we get a comment going, will Zen 5 support faster than DDR5 6000? Yeah. Um, Yes. I've already leaked that Zen 5 is targeting like, I think 72 or 7400, I think I said is the stock. Already now Zen 4 does, so we're done. This isn't going to be an issue in Zen 5. You'll be able to use fast RAM. There's not some intrinsic issue with AM5 and supporting faster memory. This is still not the most elegant way AMD's gone about it, just like with Zen 1 to Zen 2. For some reason, they had trouble supporting above, to my memory, 2600 megahertz with DDR4. And then all of a sudden, you know, after a few updates, they could do 3600 pretty easily. And it seems to be a similar pattern again. Obviously, it would have been better for news coverage if they could have hit the same clock speeds, you know, transfer speeds for RAM that Intel did on their platform, but they couldn't, and it doesn't really seem to benefit Zen 4 that much anyways. But uh, at least this signals that Zen 5 will be able to support the same RAM speeds and hopefully, as Intel, and hopefully that benefits Zen 5, even if it's not benefiting Zen 4. Right. So, Yeah. There's no issue. Really benefiting Zen 4. <laughs> DDR5 speeds will be supported at very, very high transfer levels for the next gen. But also, don't waste your money on them right now. Get the free 32 gigabytes for Micro Center by using the links in the description mm. from Force Law Dead. All right. Let us now move on to story number three. AMD Dragon Range X R97945HX 3D confirmed for the Asus Notebooks. Our name's getting long enough yet. All right. No. Tech Power Up writes in, or I'm sorry, quoting from Tech Power Up. Asus Republic of Gamers today announced that the new ROG Strix Scar 17X3D, <laughs> the perfect fusion of cutting edge silicon and ROG engineering. Sorry, I'm quoting from Tech Power Up. Features the AMD Ryzen 9 7945HX3D mobile processor equipped with AMD 3D vCache. For the very first time in a notebook, by doubling the L3 cache of the mighty Ryzen R9-7945HX processor, the 7945HX3D gives users a boost to gamers hungry for onboard ultra-fast memory. And so there you go. I'm sorry I quoted directly a press release. I forgot how annoyingly written they are. But <laughs> Dragon Range X products that this channel leaked a year ago and constantly suggested would launch just a bit before Raptor Lake Refresh and Meteor Lake come to mobile is coming when expected, and frankly should comfortably sit as the top of the mobile processor stack this holiday season. It will be interesting to see, in my opinion, by the way, if AMD is still just using the Xbox Game Bar for scheduling this, as they are still just using vCache on one of the CCDs of this 16-core mobile processor, or if they're going to work with, uh, work with OEMs to have something more hidden and permanent in place in the uh, operating system to delineate which cores mm-hmm. or which apps are running, which cores. Yeah, so there you go, Dan. I mean, I think, you know, I remember leaking Dragon Range X, I think almost exactly a year ago from now, like, guys, this is coming. They're going to have vCache and laptops um, and going, well, no one thinks it's coming soon. So if I had to guess, they're going to drop this like a month before Raptor, like Refresh comes out. <laughs> and yeah, that seems like that's what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's basically putting, as far as I can tell, basically a 7950X3D on laptop. (laughs) Uh, So that's going to be a gaming beast. Um, I guess we'll see if Raptor, like, refresh can actually beat it. I wouldn't be surprised if 
in a lot of apps, this is faster for gaming, not overall faster in gaming. Yeah, I have to say that I would definitely just want the eight core version, which would be, I think, the seven, nine, three, I'm, five, eight, I'm not four, going... five, seven, eight, four, five, I think HX 3D is what it would be called, because I don't need 16 cores in a laptop. Just give me eight V cache cores that use half the energy and game as well as a high end desktop. Um, I mean, I they only announced the 16 core variant, though, as of yet. Yeah, right. I know, but I'm going to suggest they have an eight core one coming. I don't know why they wouldn't have an eight core one. Like they could sell that as like an, the ultimate gaming uh, laptop for OEMs at a more reasonable price. Although maybe that's the reason why they wouldn't, ha- why it would never get actually mass adoption is no OEM would want to buy that when they could s- try to sell you the 16 core. Oh, yeah, they want to advertise 16 cores, maybe. That's very true. Uh, but yeah, to my memory, I think we looked at some testing from like Jared's tech and somebody else a few months ago charting mobile Raptor Lake performance against Dragon Range performance. And technically at like 150 watts or something absurd, Oh yeah, the Raptor Lake one wins, but anything that they could even find viable, like 95 watts and lower, the Zen 4 chip won. Raptor Lake refresh is supposed to be at most 20% better in mobile, right? So this it, this just allows AMD, I think, to keep the mobility gaming crown um, moving forward. And I don't know that I really have much else to say. I think we all knew this was going to come out. Um, it was always going to probably not be rushed out because they didn't need it right away and saved for, you know, stymieing the launch of Raptor Lake Refresh and Meteor Lake. That's about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have much else to say. All right. Well, then let us finally shift colors here and move on to story number four arrow lake release date performance thread counts leaked by moore's laws dead last week this channel put out yet another update on about half a dozen upcoming intel architectures that sheds many rays of light on what's going on with intel's 15th gen first of all although as many as four threads per core were considered and planned as an option for arrow lake arrow lake will apparently end up getting its hyper threading axed this decision was made very recently and was not one Intel wanted to make. That's very important to point out here. And it was decided, though, due to the fact that successive architectures after Aerolake will be removing hyperthreading anyways for a new method of multi-threading enhancements. And so it didn't really make sense to kill <laughs> themselves trying to get hyperthreading working in an appreciable way if it hurts single-threading at all. And that is why it's being disabled. Additionally, recent leaks out of Igor's labs that showed an Arrow Lake sample with eight big cores and 16 little cores only performing around up to 20% better than Raptor Lake 8 plus 16 configurations. That was the A0i7 silicon. Let me say that again. This is important because a lot of people quoted that and said, wait, Raptor Lake's only, or I'm sorry, Arrow Lake's only 20% better than Raptor Lake? No. An old version of the silicon that doesn't have the full features of the architecture in it yet was 20% better, an old version, and that was the i7. Mm-hmm. The i9 is going to be even stronger than that with more features. Aerolake is poised to be the biggest gen-over-gen uplift from Intel and client desktop since Alder Lake. That hasn't changed. In fact, the projections that I put out in previous Aerolake leaks this year we're testing apparently these non-hyper-threading models already. So my performance projections also don't change. This i7-8 plus 16 variant should launch by the end of next year. 
if not, they're hoping mid next year. And then the 8 plus 32 core count version should also launch by mid 2025. Although, again, I'm sure they hope it comes out at the tail end of 2024 if they can do it. So, yep, that actually cleared up a lot of misinformation out there about Air Lake that was circulating around. That's why I rush out yet another giant Intel update because I knew a lot of people were curious what was going on. What do you think about Air Lake, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, uh, based on early projections, I guess it seems like the loss of hyper-threading isn't that big of a deal. So it's not... It's not the end of the world. Like, they're still going to probably manage at least a 40% multi-threading uplift, even without hyper-threading. I mean, if they're adding, if they're adding that many uh, efficiency cores, uh, the loss of the eight uh, larger threads, I mean, the eight uh, hyper-threading threads from uh, the big cores, eh, maybe might not be that detrimental to, or do- doesn't, doesn't hurt multi-threading enough that the uh, little cores can't compensate for. Um, so... I don't know. That sounds really good if they can deliver that big of a gen over gen performance uplift for single and multi-threading. I'm going to be honest, I don't really care that much how they do it. If that means they axe hyper-threading, it means they axe hyper-threading, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it is interesting to see this, though. It does put the multi-threading performance uplift that I was expecting at the lower end of the projection, Mm -hmm. which, you know, in that leak, I put it in white. I think this was the, uh, this would have been the Cougar Cove leak I did where in white text i was like well if it's this many cores this much performance i project this much this didn't come from a source well okay it was like 55 to 75 well now i'd go down to 55 now that i know there's no hyper threading um and i'd go well all right well let's think about this though let's say it's a 50 percent even multi-threading increase over raptor lake and then i think probably 30 ish percent single threading maybe a little more than that uh, to me, that puts this pretty in line with Zen 5, actually. I think what we'd be looking at is maybe 5 to 10% single threading, better single threading, and then in gaming, which is different than single threading, everybody, 5% <laughs> better, and then in multi-threading, probably 10% better. So I think it's going to be a winner, but it still just reminds me of Alder Lake versus Zen 3. When Alder Lake came out, just beat Zen 3 in single threading. And even in multi-threading, it, went, it tended to win by 5 to 10%. Yeah, but it launched a year later. So if they can get it out by the middle of 2024, then it's probably only launching like a quarter after Zen 5. That's fine. But if it yeah. launches at the end of the year, that'll be when their X3D models are ready. I don't see it as a giant win. It's probably going to use more energy, guys. Yeah, I, I mean, if that's if it's by the end of well, if it's the same time as Zen Five, then I think we just kind of have a a repeat of this generation. Especially if Intel can't deliver the eight plus thirty two core Intel like the right before. If that comes out in the middle of twenty twenty five, because it was kind of canceled and then restarted once they axed hyper threading, is what it sounds like. Because um, they're like, we need those extra E cores now. And then I go, well, that's still going to be a pretty rough. 2024 then because amd's gonna launch first you're gonna launch something that basically ties it but wins in gaming except for the x3d favoring games while using more energy i don't know i'm not and again i'm sure there will be people that like clip this in a year and go you were wrong air lake wins and i'm like no i know it wins but a win by five percent while you're losing in efficiency costing more and launching after your competition isn't a big thing to me 
Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, once again, it might just for gaming performance, it'll probably be similar to a repeat of this generation where I, I don't know, Intel maybe has a nominal win for a while. Um, and then in AMD comes out with the X3D models and takes the gaming crown again by an actual appreciable m- margin. Mm-hmm. And if they can keep continue doing that um, with like their eight core variants of the X3D, uh, again, you might have a $450 or $500 gaming CPU that's beating eight seven or eight hundred dollar intel cpus uh mm-hmm. which sure maybe it also kind it ties or beats amd's way more expensive model but that's why you don't get the super high uh core count models unless you actually need them and if you're just doing gaming or the most intense task you're doing is gaming eight cores are still sufficient yeah well and i'd also suggest um that I still feel like we don't know everything about <clears throat> Zen 5. Like, there's still probably a couple tricks in there that we have yet to see. So, I don't know. Arrow Lake, uh, if I were to summarize the sentiment of my leak, I would say it was the people saying Arrow Lake's going to be <laughs> somehow like three node jumps and like a 10% performance increase. No. that Those AMD fanboys need to shut up. But also... The people that think Arrow Lake is going to be an uncontested product, uh, I don't know, guys. I think it's going to be expensive. Intel's margins are in the gutter, and this is using 3 nanometer in a large die for the 8 plus 32 core model. I don't think that thing's going to be cheap, and I think Zen 5 costs barely more to make than Zen 4. So what happens if AMD has a 16 core for 600, and then Intel's 8 plus 32 core is like 750? And it's only 10%, 20% better, and it comes out later. I don't know. I'm still not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel here. I think what AM, Intel needs another true Alder Lake situation now, not in a year right before Zen 6 comes out, I guess is what I'm saying. And yeah. it's still too early to say exactly how it's going to fall. You know, these things are slippery. They could launch mid early, mid next year with Air Lake. It could get delayed to 2025. You know, maybe it hits the upper end of the performance estimates I I'm forecasting here, just like with Raptor Lake, where it was like, oh, well, AMD kind of hit in the bottom end, Intel hit in the upper end. Raptor Lake's better than expected. It's okay. You know, we'll see what happens. But I don't know. Let me move on to some reader mails here. Curious, suspicious white man writes in. He says, hello, Tom. Any updates on Intel's Adamantine project? Is development coming along smoothly, Mm -hmm. or are they hitting bumps along their path to a large L4? Well, I, I actually didn't make this a main story. I just decided to answer it now as leaked in that Put a fork, uh, should we put a fork in Arc yet, like I did earlier this year? Battle Mage was intended to be the lead graphics product for Adamantine. And Battle Mage was originally, you can look at Robaps, Battle Mage was supposed to launch at the end of 2023. That is not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they've axed the Battle Mage tile for Meteor Lake, at least for now. And I've leaked in this recent Intel thing that it seems like Meteor Lake won't be getting Adamantine maybe at launch. And if it does, it's going to be a very limited amount of models. So I think Adamantine's fine. I just think all the products that are supposed to use it are having issues. So that's the unfortunate answer. And I also you know, leaked when Meteor Lake will be launching, which it seems like end of September or something like that, or early uh, October. And, and Intel's earnings, they basically confirmed that. So just throwing that out there as well. Yeah, I mean, we'll see Adamantine eventually later than expected because everything else in, from Intel is not doing super hot. <laughs> and by the way, if you hear me sniffing my nose, guys, 
I'm still sick, so I announced that in the die shrink to patrons, but uh, I'm doing my best here to not start mouth breathing into this mic while we're uh, recording. So just <laughs> bear with me a little bit. But also let's bear with this reader mail from Compressed Earthblocks who says, Hello, Tommy Guns and Daniel Swords. This is in regards to Meteor Lake and most importantly, Air Lake. Techia City has made a series of videos about three weeks old now, and I will include the links in the description. He says that has brought to light some latency issues with 12th and 13th gen Intel CPUs. It seems like this can affect certain workloads or applications more than others, but it also takes away one advantage that Intel has had for a while. That is, they always seem to feel more snappy. And so I have two questions for you on this. Do any of your contents, uh, contacts mention this to you ever? If the answer is yes to question one, have they fixed this in Meteor Lake and Air Lake? If not, well, what the hell are they going to do? Um, no, none of my contacts have mentioned that, uh, anything about this to me. And let me actually double check. No one's messaged me about this yet. No, no, I still haven't gotten any feedback from any of my contacts at Intel about it. Um, so, uh, it's something I haven't looked heavily into because I plan to have Tech Yes City on again anyways, by the way, within a <laughs> month or so. And I'll just save all of that for talking to him about it. You know, I don't... We talk about some things every episode, and we don't. We try to avoid that as much as we can. So I figure that's a good episode to have a whole one-hour discussion about it with the person who did test it. But what I would say is, you know, at the end of the day, and I've seen people argue, you know, well, this i5 versus the 7700X, blah, blah, blah. I think if you got an AMD product and an Intel product, and they're priced the same, and they're at least within 10% of each other in performance, but one of them is mostly little cores, go with the all big cores. Anytime. That makes sense. I mean... Because stuff like this happens. Like, there are some apps that do not like little cores, guys, and it's okay if Intel can give you 50% more performance by gluing on these little cores, but if they're not giving you a sizable victory, if we're getting close to you won't notice it or even margin of error... You should just be going with all big cores because you're just going to have a more consistent experience. And I think Tech yes City is pointing this out. I mean, yeah, it's just still shown over time that the it does not seem like the little cores benefit the average consumer that much at this point, if at all, really. <laughs> if all you do is run Cinebench R23, then I guess you want as many little cores as possible. But that's oh. not really anyone. In Cinebench, as so. a real-world application, that we really care about. You're going to get some angry comments about that. Someone's <laughs> going to say, well, technically you can use the CPU and it's based on this one app, but no, I mean, I I've said this before. If aliens came to earth, they would think the most popular game considering how many gaming websites benchmark it is Cinebench R23 followed, of course, by the most, the popular game 3d mark. Yep. Those are my two favorite games. Play them all the time. 24 seven. Um, all right, let us then move on to story number five. Ever get exhausted looking for a safe way to pay reasonable pricing for Microsoft software amongst tons of questionable listings on eBay and shady websites? Well, now you don't have to do this any longer. Not if you go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com and their back to school sale. Whether it's Microsoft operating systems, office products, or even many of the latest AAA games, cdkeyoffer.com provides PC gamers with a product that I honestly think this community does need in a world where far too many of our components that make up our PCs are getting more expensive every year 
The last thing we need is monopolistically priced software to remain on that list of stupid stuff we pay too much for. And you know, the Moore's Law's Dead team has been working with CDKeyAlpha.com for many years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to family members that use their website when they build a PC. And they've been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community as well. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course Microsoft products, support Moore's Law is Dead by using the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products or DieShrink for 3% off everything else. Support us at cdkeyoffer.com today. Intel rentable units, Diamond Rapids, Lunar Lake, Panther Lake, Noble Lake, and Beast Lake leaked additionally by Moore's Law's Dead. Arrow Lake and Meteor Lake details aren't all that this writer leaked from Intel last week. Additionally, many more things are divulged. Let's start with Lunar Lake. Lunar Lake is supposed to launch in the first half of 2025, effectively. I'm aware that in their earnings call, Intel claims it will paper launch in 2024. People, I, what, and I think this is important to note. When I say when I think things are coming out in these leaks, people, this is based on when things are planned to be quality, QS'd and fully validated and when production schedules are, and then I estimate it. Intel claims a lot of things about release dates. I'm not claiming always what I see on a roadmap. I'm claiming, asking the engineers, is this roadmap bullshit? When's it actually coming out? The people I talk to say Lunar Lake won't really have launched until the beginning of 2025 and that it will have four Lion Cove Plus cores. So that is a plus on top of the big core architecture in Arrow Lake. Four times SkyMont little cores. No hyper-threading is listed on any documents I've seen. Rentable units aren't listed either. So to me, this, and it'll have Battle Mage graphics, supposedly. So to me, this seems like an ultra low power product. Wait, it so might. Forex Line Cove, that's just big Line cores, Cove right? Plus. Li th th those are just big cores, right? Yeah. So four Line Cove Plus, four SkyMont, maybe just eight threads. This kind of seems like an in between of Lakefield and Ice Lake. Like something like that that uses <laughs> five to 10 watts. Yeah. I, I, I almost want to compare it to like, Tiger Lake, but uh, it seems... Tiger Lake's better. Seems more low power than Tiger Lake. <laughs> yeah, this seems like an ultra... And that's what they keep saying. Ultra low power, thin and light laptops. Piloting new architectures is basically mm -hmm. what it is. So again, kind of like Ice Lake. Uh, after that, Panther Lake's supposed to come out by the first half of 2026 with Cougar Cove for the P-Cores. And very notably... Rentable units are listed. This is also supposedly laptop only, as Panther Lake desktop has supposedly been axed. Additionally, then, in the first half of that same year, 2026, next to it, Diamond Rapids is supposed to launch with Lion Cove Plus, up to 192 cores, which will be composed of four 48-core tiles, two I.O. tiles, 3D stacked on top of four accelerator tiles, and rentable units is listed again. And it's supposed to double Granite Rapids performance per watt. Now, this is a big deal, everybody, because there were some people that were saying Arrow Lake isn't supposed to have hyper-threading. Yes, it was with Lion Cove. But then we hear of Lion Cove plus products getting rentable units. I, I wonder if Lunar Lake will have it. It wouldn't surprise me if it did, but I don't have proof it does <clears> yet. <throat> but I do have proof of rentable units listed in Nova Lake, Diamond Rapids, and Panther Lake. It is clear there is some evolution past hyperthreading coming after Arrow Lake, and that's probably why they axed it. it. Lion Cove in Arrow Lake uses the Royal Core architecture designed by Jim Keller. If they can't get hyperthreading working with it, why bother? They're getting rid of it anyways, and literally everything coming out after that. 
Um, but yeah, so and then in the second half of 2026, uh, Nova Lake's supposed to come out, which is supposed to be the first full implementation of Royal Corps. Kind of think about that, maybe like their Zen 2 moment. And then with Arrow Lake being like Zen 1. And then Beast Lake is supposed to come out in 2027 or something with supposedly four extra big cores and 32 little cores. And this is the completed vision of Royal Corps. Think of this as their Zen 3. Oh, and then there's Rogue River Forest succeeding Clearwater Forest. So there you go. Lunar Lake continues to seem like some sort of lake field or ice lake-ish thing that launches between Arrow Lake and other generations. And then Panther Lake, Diamond Rapids, and Nova Lake all evolve past hyperthreading. And this is all very exciting. The only other thing I have to point out, though, from a competitive point of view, is it seems like Arrow Lake's going to be an Alder Lake moment, maybe. But then they don't really have anything competitive and client for two years, it Arrow seems. Lake's- Wait, when is Arrow Lake coming out at this point? End of uh, mid to late next year. Yeah, so and they're gonna have the eight plus thirty two come out. A lot of my contacts think in a wrapped and no, an Arrow Lake plus or refresh may come out that boosts performance another twenty percent in between them. Because otherwise, Zen Five is supposed to launch twenty twenty five. So it's like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, Zen Six is supposed to launch twenty twenty five. So it's like, well, then it seems like they don't have anything to compete with Zen 6 for over a year. So there's probably going to be some either desktop version of Panther Lake that they rush out or an Arrow Lake refresh. And most people think Arrow Lake refresh. Sorry for all the code names, people, but we put the leak on screen. You can see them and there's roadmaps online. Yeah, and then... Nova Lake, I'm not quite sure what to make of. Uh, I don't have a lot of details. Iteration. Another iteration past Arrow Lake, and then that's supposed to be a very big performance increase, though. I just don't have the details, or I don't want to leak them yet. And then Beast Lake sounds interesting because I mean, what? So they're adding a third architecture type to their growing. It's hard to say because I saw several designs. One was like ten cores total, and it was like eight big cores and two extra big cores, and there was a competing design that was only four extra big cores 32 little cores i'd have to assume those little two those 32 little cores are like still pretty damn strong and that they've solved the latency penalty between cores or that doesn't make sense yeah that does i mean because if not i, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be some issue with only having four big only having four big cores for gaming because games use eight threads pretty frequently at this point yeah so, I mean, I don't know. That's also four years in the future, so it's kind of hard to even have an opinion on it yet. Like, I mean, AMD by then will be on to what, Zen 6? It will be on either Zen 6 or maybe even close to Zen 7 at that point. <laughs> like, but, yeah, by Beast Lake, yeah, they will be. Zen 7. So, who the hell knows where... Uh, in fact, I've actually heard it may be something after Zen. There may not even be a Zen 7. Yeah. maybe a new family of CPUs. I mean, yeah, it's just who the hell knows where they're at by then. Maybe they move on to 32 uh, cores, 64 threads at that point. We don't know. Or yeah. they do, or or they go the further down the hybrid architecture route with more Zen 4s and with more C-core models than they are currently talking about. Yeah. So, you know, all of this is to say, I understand everybody if there's a lot of architecture names thrown at you. I had access to the information. I wanted to be one of the first people to leak it. And there are some interesting things in there. But I think the real takeaway is 
Arrow Lake looks at best to be like an Alder Lake moment. So that's good, but still not quite where I would want Intel to get to in terms of competitiveness. They need a Sandy Bridge moment to swing back here with where their earnings are. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of their other stuff looks interesting, but it's too far away to really know how competitive it will be with AMD. The important thing is they are removing hyper-threading and doing something called rentable units, which a lot of people I've talked to behind the scenes are hypothesizing. And actually, my next guest will probably talk with me, who's a developer who has some theories on it in depth. You know, it's probably some method of like cash and core resource sharing where on the fly, a core can become almost two cores if it needs to, or one core can get extra cash and I... IPC, it's a clumsy way of putting it, if it needs to, and that there is rentable units cores can rent if they need higher performance for single threading. That's kind of what it sounds like they're doing. Um, okay. And that's all of these code names. That's what you need to know, everybody, is Intel has a radical shift in how they do things in two years. Yeah, and when you have a radical shift, it's just, all right, I'm waiting to see the results because either this is the going to save Intel or they're going to crash and burn with it. So, Or it's Bulldozer. Amy kind of tried a similar thing with Bulldozer, to be honest. Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Or on I mean, paper, it could be argued that's what it is. But I'm, we, I, I don't think they'll just make Bulldozer again. That'd be suicide. Well, we, yeah, I guess what we're saying is we don't know if, at this point, if probably Nova Lake, it, it, we don't know if Nova Lake is Zen 1 or Bulldozer <laughs> at this point. Yep, we won't know until it comes out. So, But uh, what Sands wants to know is a question he's asking us. He goes, I'm concerned that even Diamond Rapids can win. It's going to be astronomically more expensive than Zen 6 from what I'm seeing here from your leak. Do your sources know if the tiles connect like AI compute to IO or compute to AI tile to IO? Oh, he's like trying to like draw little diagrams. Mm-hmm. Um. My memory is, let me look at what I have here. Two I.O. tiles, four accelerator tiles. So that, yeah, what I remember is you need two accelerator tiles per I.O. tile to even work. So I think the SP model will be two accelerator tiles like this, basically. And then like one I.O. tile across it. And then a CPU tile on top of each accelerator, like almost like the IO might be a bridge over the accelerator. Something like that is kind of mm-hmm. what it sounds like. And then the AP is just double that, so a bigger one. Um, that's my understanding. You know, um, are the AI tiles required for Diamond Rapids to be functional or are they optional? Well, they're base tiles, so I think they have to have them, Sans. Um, and additionally, well, I don't know how much more expensive it will be than Zen 6. The, the, I think Zen 6 is going to be elaborate. So far, AMD continues to make architectures that seem more economical than Intel. So if I was a betting man, I'd, of course, well, I'm going to bet that AMD's is cheaper to make because it keeps being true. But I also think Zen 6 is a pretty radical <laughs> departure. It's supposed to be the big one, the big one. So well, I wouldn't be surprised if it was pretty crazy as well. We'll just have to see. Yeah, and AMD, now that they've gotten a strong foothold in the CPU market, seems to be branching out and, and diversifying or I should say, in working towards making heterogeneous, more tile-based CPUs. Uh, I mean, different tile-based CPUs as time goes on. I, I imagine AMD is heading the same route, even if it's not necessarily just throwing a bunch of different CPU architectures onto each other. Yeah. 
Um, all right. Let us now move on, though, to story number six. Intel beats earnings estimates, but reports very bad numbers, uh, in this writer's opinion, nonetheless. On July 27th, Intel announced its Q2 2023 earnings. And look, it did beat analysts' rather bottom-of-the-barrel expectations. However, they were bottom-of-the-barrel expectations, and thus this analyst, if I may call myself that, would highlight the following. Number one, margins remain below AMD, even below 40%. And although earnings per share were the biggest upset, they are still down 54% year-over-year, and data center basically remains unprofitable, which is shocking. Why is that shocking? Well, this quarter was the one quarter of the year where Intel has had a new server product line, Sapphire Rapids, that supposedly catches up to AMD, or at least Intel says it does. After this quarter, AMD will have 128-core Bergamo and 96-core with over a gigabyte of cache Genoa X out to crush everything in sight. And then AMD could have Zen 5 turnout as soon as quarter one, 2024, <laughs> maybe even before the end of the year, based on the roadmaps that I've leaked. So look, here is my concern about people being upbeat about this. Intel is still unprofitable in their most important sector, data center, while AMD hasn't launched their competition yet, and they have a new lineup. This is as good as it's going to get this year for Intel. And well... I don't know, as leaked in the recent Loose Ends, it doesn't surprise me still that Meta is looking to leave Intel after hearing about Sapphire Rapids being delayed even a month later than promised. And actually, I want to show a new quote on screen here that was sent to me by one of my contacts at Meta, which remember, I've done really accurate Meta leaks recently. This person says, I saw your Loose Ends and I can just add that from our side, this back and forth with Intel over Sierra Forest was bad. Intel software has been horribly unreliable and cumbersome to work with, especially for AI, and their hardware performance just keeps getting less and less competitive every year in the tests we conduct. This is just one person's opinion from this big company, but from what I've heard, we are looking for an excuse to drop Intel, and they gave it to us when they said Sierra Forest was probably going to come out a month or two later than expected. And so, I don't know. This quarter beat expectations, but only a little bit, and it still had some very bad omens in some of the numbers. And I think having a horrible earnings that's down 54% year over year in earnings per share is still a bad earnings. And I'd want to see a way bigger rebound next quarter before I believe Intel has truly bottomed like Pat Galsinger keeps trying to convince people. All right, Dan, what did you think here? I mean, yeah, like if you just look at their stock price, Intel has been slowly recovering their stock price since february i mean it's still not great <laughs> over time uh but yeah uh, uh, an earnings that beats expectations and raises their stock price doesn't mean that the company's doing well it means they're doing better than expected which is good but uh they're still way behind amd uh at this point um and intel is still cutting staff quarter over quarter so it, it's yeah just- i saw some analysts say that too they were like you know they laid off a significant amount of employees last quarter like that little difference is probably that yeah so i don't know if you're if you're beating uh if you're beating the profits you're making you're expected to make 
because you cut 3000 employees. That's not necessarily a good thing. It's like, I don't know. It's like when you like look at the GDP of a country, you could, there's like <laughs> weird things you can do that increase a country's GDP, even if yeah. it's not actually helping the economy. <laughs> yeah. Economics explains a YouTube channel. I watch every now and then covers that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like there are definitely ways to do some funny math with GDP, just like you can with this stuff. Yeah. So I, I mean, listen, I want Intel to turn around. I mean, the last three sto- two stories have all been about the future of Intel, but it's just when Intel is always delivering things late and not and barely beating slash barely being on par with AMD, it's just hard to be optimistic about them. And them having a better than expected quarter isn't nest is obviously better news than them having a bad earnings, but it doesn't mean that they're doing well either. It just means they're doing slightly better than people thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's how I'd put it, you know, I'm not sure what I would have wanted to see. Well, yeah, I do. I know what I would have, what would have made me look at, uh, cause a lot of people are going to go, of course, was lost to say a bad, he ain't a fanboy. Like the, no, there, I can tell you what I would have, seen that would have made me go, eh, maybe they have bottomed, is seeing their data center margins go from, what was it last quarter, like negative 14% or something absurd, mm-hmm. and jump, or negative 9, I don't remember, it was negative, and then going to like at least 10, 20% margins while all other divisions went up as well. I would rather see that than a lot of other things. Like, just show me that data center business is picking up, and it's picking up without you losing money or breaking even per unit sold. You know, show me that, and then I will stay. Yeah, you probably bought him. Um, sorry, I don't know what Jesse just did. She like one of her tennis balls is below the desk. That's why she keeps. <laughs> you guys can't see this, like walking around me and looking under the desk and like trying to like, army crawl past me. But there's like wires back there, so I'm like, no, get out of here. I'll get it later. Let's finish it. But yeah, you know, so anyone who says I would have said this is bad no matter what, no, I mean they beat earnings per share, but they're 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 margins are still in the shitter and their margins are in the shitter in data center when they launch sapphire rapids and amd hasn't launched Genoa x and bergamo yet the next two quarters sapphire rapids will be going against 128 core bergamo and they're not even really four percent margins is no margins they're not making a profit per unit sold what do you think's going to happen yeah i mean I don't know. Maybe I don't even want to see more sales. I just want to see that their company is making money per chip now. That's what I want to see. Yeah, or that they didn't have, or or have a company that doesn't have to halt the shipments of its CPUs because they have uh, security flaws with them. Like, I I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I don't have uh, much else to say about this story. The, The only thing I can say is I am hearing from some higher ups at Intel right now that like. That they are not convinced they're going to meet the things they're hoping to meet next quarter. I'm just warning you guys. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, let's just leave it at that for now. But that's, I don't think they're out of the woods. All right. Now let us move on to the final full story of the show with story number seven, something we haven't talked about for a very long time. PS5 Pro leaks galore. I dare you to say that 10 times fast. While details remain debated, recently some notable leakers like Kepler on Twitter have seemingly confirmed that the pro console of the PS5, 
that was first leaked by this channel as being a completely designed thing in 2021 is actually going forward. So we can't say I'm not willing to double down on any specifics yet. Other people are free to if they think they know. But what we can seem to confirm from our end is those code names Viola and Trinity, those seem to be true. There does seem to be a consensus amongst people I talk to and what other people say out there that the PS5 Pro will launch late 2024 with over the double the performance of the PS5 and likely with an RDNA 3.5 slash 4 hybrid architecture. Um, so I just would remind people, you know, in 2021, I leaked that there were both Xbox actually Elite and PS5 Pro designs, but that because of the pandemic and shortages, neither company was sure if they even wanted to go forward with them. It's one thing to design something and conceptualize it. It's another thing to go, green light, we're going. It seems like the green light has been given on Sony's end. So what do you think about that, Dan? Eh, I mean, uh, I think it signals that Sony's hoping to have this be another long generation. So the PS6 or whatever probably won't come out until 2028, 2029 or something. Other than Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I don't have too many deep thoughts about it. Uh, Mid-gen refreshes, I guess, are becoming the norm. I'm more than anything surprised a slim model for the PS5 hasn't come out yet. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think I told you, uh, I heard that was going to come out. Shoot. I mean, I think it came out in 2020. I think I heard it was going to come out by mid to late last year. No, mid to late this year. And now it still sounds like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where it is. It I, be, no, it's it, supposed to come out early this year is what I heard. I remember. I heard it was going to come out early this year and it's still not out. It sounds like late or be, this year or beginning next year. And the six nanometer chips are already in consoles. That's odd. Yeah, it would be nice if, um, I don't know, the PS5 saw a $100 price cut or something at the end of this year slash mid next year or something with the launch of the Slim. And then like four months later, they follow that up with the Pro. Yeah, it sounds like they might do that. They might remove the disc player launch a slim version um, early next year for 400 uh, Maybe cheaper, but I don't think so. I think probably 400 I think that's still probably an attractive price. And then they launch a Pro for 500 to 600 That's over double the performance. And then they just kind of follow what they did last gen. Just make the Slim a little cheaper. Try to like get in there and then try to launch the Pro to keep that price point they have the whole time. Mm-hmm. I heard, yeah, I heard, the funny thing is I heard... The idea of a pro console at first was just to make up for the higher price of RAM because they'd raise the price one two hundred dollars, <laughs> but it really cost an extra fifty bucks to make this thing. But now the RAM's so much cheaper. I I wonder if they will try to keep the pro at five hundred bucks. Uh, I mean, if they could keep it at five hundred bucks, that would be great. Uh, and I guess that's not that much of a surprise, though. If it's coming out double the performance four years later. And it probably should cost the same price anyways. What do you think? Let's say it's $500. What do you think the PS5 Pro needs to achieve for it to be a killer? Because, I mean, mo- yes, most of the PS4 sales, I think it was like 80% from what I've heard. 80% of PS4 sales were the Pro version. I mean, I'm sorry, 20% of PS4 sales were the Pro. So 80% were the base or the slim. Yeah, But the Pro did sell out. Like, you, it was hard to get a lot of, to- of the time. What do you think they'd have to do to make it a, su- a success where they still can't keep it in stock, though, for 500 bucks? Uh, it's. I don't know. Th- these pro consoles are weird to me because I'm not 
like I feel like the market they're mostly pandering towards are people that always that buy the newest product at any given time because I don't know I don't know who has a PS4 in 2024 and it's like okay now I, I, it's enough for me to spend $500 to get a PS5 because it's twice as strong so yeah. it, it's just a, a kind of weird thing where I imagine the market for the pro is probably a lot of people that already have a PS5 or people that are disillusioned with the PC market if it's bad enough in 2024 um, I'm not sure who else it's for, so I don't really know what you would do to to really drive it home to get people to buy it. You know, well, what I mean? there's a lot of rumors that like there's a new version of FSR that will be ready in over a year from now. That maybe like RSR on PC they can force it on a game. Like Sony will have a toggle in the menu to force FSR three on every title, <laughs> and so I maybe mean, they'll bring out something that has the raw performance that's like a little over double the performance of a PS5, but then it's ray tracing performance is maybe triple the performance of the PS5. And then they can force FSR. Maybe they can do something where they're like, hey, you know this game that used to run 1440p60? Now it runs 4K60 with ray tracing cranked up and it's a locked 60. That type of thing on these big screen TVs, I think that would be enough where it's like, or even like in some games able to attempt 8K for launch titles. That might be something because, you know, you're looking at something, you know, if you over double performance of the RX 6700 and in some games, it's close to a 2080 Ti. Let me see. 700 power ups isn't the most accurate on this one. I always have to type 10 gigabyte because no query pulls up the right card unless you do that. Um, Like if you over double performance, you are looking at something that's like (laughs) you're you're looking at like over 3090 performance in a console. And anyone who says that's crazy, guys, it's four years after the 3090 launch. That's not going to be special performance anymore. Um, Yeah, I don't know. If you think about that, it's totally conceivable that they might be able to attempt something like that, you know? Yeah. And maybe that's it. And, you know, if someone with a big screen TV, they're like, hey, it's only 500 bucks, good enough for me. But I, I, I still think the PS5, just making that cheaper is more than enough image quality for most people. Well, yeah, and that's how you get people that that's how you get true current gen holdouts to actually buy a PS5 is lowering the price of the base PS5. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I I suppose I think you I think you could probably get some enthusiasts to cross over to the PS5 if it had double the performance of or, or the power of a PS5 base, way better ray tracing, and if you could force FSR, so it's basically always running 4k 60 or 1440p 120 or even some games with like 4k 120 yeah um i guess the final question i bring up just for completionist sake here is do you think xbox should respond uh that i mean i think that's entirely dependent on what microsoft's strategy is at this point because i'm gonna be honest i was I thought Microsoft would have came out with a stronger Series X by now already because it, it seemed to me that they were poising to release a powered up version of their console every two to three years and never have firm generations anymore, which it seems like they're backing out on that idea. So I'm not sure if Microsoft's plan is to just more double down on it as a platform and try to push Game Pass on PC more so than refreshing their hardware all the time 
Well, you know, yeah, I mean, one of the, uh, it's worth pointing out, I guess let's start getting kind of into the wrap up now. Um, like one of them was the PS5 passes 40 million in sales with 25 million expected to be sold in total this year for the PS5. So it's looking at something that's, I don't know if it's beating the PS4, but it's beating the PS3 and the Xbox One X doesn't see One X. Series X slash S seems to not be significantly outselling the Xbox one by like a metric, like, you know, like a ton, like it is, but it's not like it's, I think the Xbox one people think sold 40 to 50 million. Microsoft won't tell us because it didn't sell that well. I'm guessing the Xbox series X is probably projected to hit 70 to 80 million, but I don't know because they won't tell us the numbers for some reason. I mean, from my impression of things, the Series X seems like it's going to probably do a bit better than the Xbox One. Maybe. For sure, I think so. But, but, but I, 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 I don't think it's doing 360 numbers. And if I had to guess, I'd say the PS5 is probably going to be... Interesting. Is pro- the PS5 is probably going to be somewhere between the PS3 and PS4. Sales. As of July, the best estimate people have is that they've sold 21 million. So this would suggest the PS5 could be outselling it Almost as bad as the PS4 old. Well, no, I think the PS4 outsold Xbox One three to one. But it it seems like the PlayStation is still rapidly or widely outselling it. So it's hard to say. the The weird thing I have about a Series X Elite is what I imagine it'd be called. Um, I imagine it'll called be the called Series Elite. the XXX underscore Xbox Series. Well, X-X. we need as many X's <laughs> as we can get in our products. After all, isn't that why you got the XFX RX 7900 XTX? Yes. <laughs> God, more X's the better. Um, but yeah, so I I think it'd be very easy for them to launch something, launch a couple of consoles that doesn't require a new design. Like, give it the full 320-bit bus without the software abstraction that makes it basically not. Like, give it 20 gigs of RAM, 50% faster RAM, unified memory, clock it faster on 6 nanometer, and basically just make a 16-gigabyte Series S, in my opinion, that's unified 16 gigabytes clocked faster. I think you could have, like, a 350 and or maybe $300 and $400 console that are great. You know, I think that's the better yeah. avenue for them. And in fact, if they could launch both of those before the Pro is out from PlayStation, I think they have a good option here. But otherwise, I don't know. Because I think that's their better move is to try to launch half a year to a year before the PlayStation 5 Pro with something in between the performance. But because anything else, if it launches after it, I mean, we're going to be... It's going to be like the 1X where people are going to already be talking about the PS5 by the time the 1X comes out. I don't know that really did anything for them before. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It's just, mm. I, I I just think Microsoft is in a weird place with their the Xbox brand as a whole. So I'm not. I, I I honestly just don't know what their goals are with Xbox at this point because it it's does a lot for Microsoft as like a company. Like because I think people have a generally positive impression of Xbox. But they're spending a lot of money uh, acquiring uh, <laughs> acquiring studios. They're spending a lot of money making games. And there's not that much enthusiasm about the hardware, at least, when you compare it to their two competitors. Yeah, people are super excited about the Switch. Switch keeps selling so well. PlayStation 5 seems to be outselling Xbox Series 2 to 1. 
And it's I, like, why does it have to be about the hardware? Aren't they basically turning this into a software company division anyways? Yeah, because it is, at least from the a design perspective, it looks like a lot of thought went into the designing the Series X. So I, I kind of think that they were expecting it to be a bigger hit than it was. <laughs> I, I'm not it's sure hard to say. I think at first, my impression, and this is just my impression, of course, is that the Series X at first sold better than they expected, but it's tailing off faster than expected. Mm-hmm. Whereas the PS5 is still selling gangbusters. You know? Where the PS5 is probably on track to not be a PS4, but be better than a PS3. Right. I, I would say. Yeah. Whereas the Series X doesn't seem like it's another 360. It just doesn't. No. And I think, uh, yeah, I think it sold better than they thought because they didn't know what to expect after the Xbox One sales. But it's tailing off so fast that I think then they're like, oh, yes, we have another 360. And it doesn't seem to be. And that's why you see them focusing so much on the software. So I don't know. I guess let me just ask you, do they need, do they need, an, uh, would it be better for them to just make better versions of the Series S and X just make a better version that's cheaper or should they make a direct competitor to Sony? Cause I know they designed one. They designed a direct competitor. I just don't know if they've greenlit it. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to go to what Phil Spencer said in that interview that got a bunch of coverage. Like this, they just view this as one of the kind of view it as one of the entry points into getting into the Xbox brand that like, this is their first party option. And they also have computers. Uh, I mean, PC that you can get into it. Uh, into the Xbox brand with as well. And I think they're going to continue offering a hardware option, but I I, I don't think they're trying to directly compete with Sony at this point uh, as far as hardware goes. You know, actually, I would advise they do what I was thinking Sony should do anyways. <laughs> yeah. Make a elite version that's just, again, a six nanometer variant of the thing you've already designed that's that 50% better, and then launch... The successor in 2025 just actually have a full new generation one year after the PS5 Pro comes out due to Sony, what Sony did to the Xbox One X. That's what they should do. Eh, probably. It, it, you know? Yeah. Just going to a full new thing might be better. Although I'm just curious if they're going to want to cut off support for the Series X when they come out or if they're going to still try to brand it as a. No, I think they're going to continue. It's gonna. They're gonna say it's a full new gen, but I don't. There, there is no way they'll try to keep backwards compatibility forever. Mm-hmm. Really, I think to the Series S, mm-hmm. um, which will slowly become a 480p console, probably with its 10 gigs of RAM. This summer, Jesse's excited to lay back and, well, if we are being honest, try to get some of my friends and family to give them their hamburgers, hot dogs, and noodles while we're making dinner and having cookouts. Which, honestly, I don't think she even really cares that much about which piece of human food she gets, whether it's healthy or not. But that's where me and her differ, because I do care. The older I get, the more I notice. The healthier I eat, the better I feel. And that's why I eat Vite Ramen. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers a ton of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, and their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, whether at the office or working from home. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off a variety of different products, including special bundles just for Moore's Volume 
closet fans, raw nudes, if you want to make up your own recipe with these noodles, and other food products and cooking utensils as well. And remember that no matter what you get from Vite Ramen, if you use the link in the description and the offer code, you are supporting Moore's Law is Dead, in addition to supporting this plucky and rapidly growing company. So support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting Vite Ramen today. Um, yep. All right. Well, speaking of gaming and 480p, let us move on to the wrap up. And since we're already talking about consoles, I figure let's just get this one out of the way now and talk about the uh, Ratchet and Clank PC performance that was tested. So did you look at that NX Gamer video that I put in the wrap up? Mm-hmm. So what did you I guess, you know, I'll go first. Overall, I think the Ratchet and Clank testing is exactly what I expected if it was to be ported to PC. I mean, hard drive can work, but they basically added 10 up to, I think, 20 second loading screens to the hard drive version. There's tons of frame time issues. Um, audio sync issues. Oh, yeah. Audio sync issues. It's a borked version of the game, but it'll run. It'll run on a hard drive. It just isn't good. Uh, and then if you have a SATA SSD, it just loads slower with some frame rate issues. And then if you have an NVMe SSD, a fast one, it does run as fast as the PS5, but, and this is emerging, there is a pretty direct 20% hit to GPU performance to keep up with the PS5 load times. Because direct storage uses your GPU to load. The PlayStation 5 has its own I.O. to do that. And this proves that, yeah, no, I mean... Actually, at the end of the NX Gamer video, it was interesting. He basically showed that it's like a 2080 Ti to match it with a fast SSD. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. The point isn't that a a PC can't do what the console does. The point is it just takes a lot more expensive hardware years later. Yeah, I I, I mean, I don't know. I I think the Ratchet and Clank performance stuff was a pretty good advertisement of what the io of the ps5 can do where yeah no you you do need dedicated hardware to do certain things in ratchet and clank that the ps5 can do that yeah pc really just doesn't have the io to keep up and it's at the margins where you can argue it doesn't really matter that much but yeah ratchet and clank rift apart is a pretty good um (laughs) demonstration of the ps5's io where you need objectively stronger hardware to get the same performance out of it right because you're making up for hardware you don't have yep you know that's why the xbox series x also has io controllers and uh, some people were disabling direct storage too and noticing better performance in some areas but it was funny people pointed out right but you have like an alder lake i7 this is like two at least double the performance of the mm-hmm. CPU and the PS5. It's probably then using the CPU to load and you just have those extra E cores to do it. Yeah. So instead of E cores, the PS5 had IO controllers into uh, 2020, you know? Yeah. I, I, I can't remember which video I saw them talking about this on. I, I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, apparently, if you start Ratchet and Clank um, while using a hard drive, and then reload the game once it's all the it's already been in cache. You lose some of the performance issues because it's already been offloaded from the hard drive into the RAM. <laughs> so you lose oh. you lose some of the performance issues in, uh, in Portal, but that's uh, not <laughs> that's not a great test condition. Where no, it, so you need tons of extra RAM then to make up for that. Basically. Yeah. So if you have if you have uh, a person running a 
a hard drive and 32 gigs of RAM and you reload every section of the game, I guess it works. Right. And I think, you know, this just goes to show, no, of course, PC is going to be able to run the same games as the PS5. You're just going to need 32 gigs of RAM, uh, an extra strong graphics card and an extra strong CPU. And that's just how we do these things on PC versus console, every gen, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the PS5 and Series X, uh, the I.O. stuff is a lot more elegantly designed than what's on PC currently. And PC has brute force, which is what PC always does. But it has a lot of brute force by now because these consoles (laughs) are three years old. So, um, all right. Now, let me see here to the rest of the wrap up. So we also have AVX 512 support coming to future Intel eCores. I don't know much to say about that, except I'd hope so. I saw some people talking <laughs> about this in the uh, Moore's Laws Dead Discord, like, hopefully this is true. And I'm like, hopefully. I don't even ask my sources about this. I just assume they're... The, people forget, too, like the hyper-threading being removed from Arrow Lake. Alder Lake was supposed to have AVX 512 support. They just didn't have it in the e-cores, and they couldn't get it working elegantly. So instead of hyper-threading in Arrow Lake, they disabled AVX 512 and Alder Lake. They also disabled oh. DLVR D- D- voltage regulation in Raptor Lake. Now they're adding it to the refresh. This stuff happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, the R57500F has launched globally. Uh, this is no integrated graphics, 6 cores, 12 threads. Um, it's comparable to the 6-core 12-thread i5s out there. Yeah, and it's already on eBay for two hundred bucks, about the same price as an i five. So I don't know if it ever hits new egg at a reasonable price. There you go. Although at this point, I think isn't the seventy six hundred kind of getting that cheap anyways. Um, let me see. I also noticed the RX seventy six hundred is on AMD dot com with that reference cooler. As far as I can tell, that wasn't true until now. <laughs> <laughs> like I checked every week, it's finally there. Not really worth talking about. Just thought I'd point that out. It was. Goofy, it didn't appear. I wonder if it didn't appear on their website because they didn't want to sell it until Starfield was bundled with it. I guess maybe. I, that, it's bizarre that it. It's a weird have been coincidence to me. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, what else do we have here? Oh, 32 gigabit per second GDDR7 um, has been introduced by Samsung or announced. Really, mm-hmm. um, I will say I do have an interesting. Like I, I won't. I don't have a quote to put on screen, but one of my contacts, uh, contacts in graphics, says that a lot of people are going to skip probably 24 gigabit per second or higher GDDR6 for GDDR7. That's not worth waiting and using the faster GDDR6. That they're just probably planning to have their memory controllers work with this because they'll probably be ready in a year. Be well, you know, 50 percent faster than what we have now, anyway. So. Expect GDDR7 cards to start arriving within a year. Like they're this is they're probably going to skip the other stuff, and mm-hmm. I still continue to wonder if there will be some Lovelace refresh with GDDR7 because I heard the top IO controller uh, um, can do it. Yeah, I, I mean, if they're trying to reinvigor- uh, reinvigorate Lovelace, and there's a lot of time between them <laughs> between Lovelace and Blackwell, it's been a while since they've done a refresh generation, but uh, sometimes you need to do one. Um, okay. And then we have a bizarre Titan prototype with a hidden fan that I have sent you and Gerard can actually put on screen as well. I just wanted to show this because there really are a lot of prototypes. This thing is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't think this was the standard prototype too, but this is one of them. I've, I saw a triple fan one too that was a cheaper looking one. By triple, I mean like three fans in a row, but mm-hmm. that was clearly for like cheaper earlier samples. Yeah, I don't know. The the fan orientation is confusing to me where I wonder like if this design would mess with airflow because it looks like the fans are overlapping a little bit. But <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's a fan, then a fan, then a fan, like a staircase of fans going through this four slot cooler. But it also only has one 16 pin. Why why do you need three fans and four slots for one 16 pin? This this seems like just a one off. Let's see yeah. if this works to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know what else to make of that. I just looking. thought, it, I mean, it's in the wrap-up because it's not a full story, but I thought it was funny to show. Um, all right, and now let us move on then to the final reader mails. So Compressed Earthblocks writes in yet again and says, Hello, T-Bird and D-Dog. Just wondering what you guys think about Remnant 2 on PC. Performance seems to be brutal, but developers released a statement stating, The game is made with upscaling in mind. Don't disable it. Leave it at default. Do you think this will become more of a norm? Is this a cop-out? Do you think this should be our expectations going forward for AAA releases? I don't want to turn this into yet another dev is lazy, you bad for X reason discussion, but what are your thoughts? So when I saw this, I, I kind of decided to sidestep the whole is the dev lazy? What is this optimized discussion? Because a lot of games I've disagreed with the community. Red Dead Redemption 2 on PC, if you aligned it to like the performance that PS4 Pro got, which was the equivalent of like an RX 590 kind of, or no, really the Xbox One X was more of like a 590 with overclocked RAM. PS4 Pro was like more like an RX. Uh, it's never a one to one, like an R, like it was like an RX uh, 480 with FP 16 and some Vega enhancements. But you know, if you aligned that, you'd see that they were getting like, I think, 30 frames per second in 4K or something with the Xbox One X. And with that in mind, well, okay, on PC, the 590 got about 30 frames per second in 4K. Mm-hmm. So it's not unoptimized. There's just 100 rabbits you can't see unless you're in dead-eye mode on screen. And so that hurts performance, you know. And the view distances in that game were enormous for being a last-gen game. So there's so many examples where people say a game is unoptimized, and I disagree so I'm just going to avoid that discussion here because I don't want to look at it and spend an hour deciding for myself. What I will just do is go to the, what I think is the more interesting conversation, which is, is it okay if games are built with DLSS and FSR being enabled in mind? That's not me saying this game did it well. But yeah, I think that's okay. We're in 2023, not 2010. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it, that's fine. I, I do think it's kind of an inherently a, a cop-out answer to say, well, you're supposed to have DLSS enabled. I mean, uh, <laughs> you're supposed to have upscaling enabled. Okay, if that was actually the case, then why didn't you launch it without and not let me choose? Like, if I'm supposed to have DLSS. And I don't know the graphics comparisons well enough. Like, looking at it, and it does look like it gets pretty bad performance. Like, the 4090 gets 126 frames in 1080p. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if there is doing something. So maybe this is an example where it needs a patch. Okay. I don't know if there is some I- insane reason why it's getting such low performance, but n- uh, yeah, n- no new gen- none of the flagship or enthusiast level cards from this generation can run it in 4K 60 FPS. No, and we don't think this game is 
mean anything crazy. Like look at how Ratchet and Clank performs at like 200 frames on high-end cards. And then this game does not look as good. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see what about why this game is so graphically intensive, but I'm guessing that it needs a patch and saying, well, you're supposed to have DLSS on is kind of inherently a cop out. If that's what, that's your quick justification for why performance is bad. (laughs) No, I agree. But for me, that conversation is a little boring. It's like, yeah, maybe this game was not well optimized. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, they happen. (laughs) But do you think if there was a well-optimized game and they built the image quality around leaving FSR on, that that's bad? No, I would just want to see, like, like the way Ratchet & Clank put out, like, I thought Ratchet & Clank, the, uh, like, spec sheet thing that they put out was really good because it told you the level of performance they ex- you should expect at each tier. And yeah, if they want to say, like, our recommended is are recommended you have like a 4070 or something and we you'll be running this with dlss quality mode on and get 4k 60 fps yeah that sounds great (laughs) that's fine yeah um all right melodic warrior writes in and says look at this link here and link will be in the description for everybody who's interested but there's a new booth up from intel arc that shows intel Arc 3 and Arc 7, and they've removed in the middle of the booth where 5 used to be. Melodic Warrior asks, uh, is it safe to assume that the A580 has just been quietly canceled? My answer is maybe. I mean, I've I've been operating under the assumption that the A580 isn't uh, happening for a while. So, yeah. (laughs) In what world did they launch the A580 at this point? It would just look goofy. You know, yeah, I'm looking here. Arc. Uh, they also have this is on video cards. They they also have. Uh, oh my god, they're calling it the Titan series, the Orc series, the Elf series, and the Genie series. Okay. Um, and there's no five. There. So also they have literally like the tiers, and there's no. Like Sparkle launching cards finally, which actually I do like the design of the coolers. They look kind of nice to me. Um, like they're not showing any plans for a 580. I don't. I don't know, guys. I don't think this thing is real. I, like I said, look, Arc's effectively canceled, and they haven't launched anything new since I put that leak out, guys. So mm-hmm. it continues to seem true, and they continue to just kind of silently be hiding that this thing's done. Um, QH Freddy writes in. Why is Intel struggling so much with graphics? Are they just not putting in the effort? No, I actually um, put they, a lot of thought. What are you going to say? <laughs> like they clearly were spending a lot of money early on. Uh, right. Like they, they've spent a lot of money. Uh, I, I think the issue isn't that they didn't put in a, a lot of effort. They just didn't put in enough effort and on the right things. Right. Like, you can have people make an argument, well, you know what? You don't get it. We're going to do this, 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 and this, and this. So it has to succeed. And then no one likes the contrarian who says this, but sometimes you need to say this to people. No, no, I understand this is going to be the biggest attempt in history. But you, it's, it's still not, might not be enough thrust to leave the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Like it's, but it's so much thrust. But it takes a lot to get off of Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More than you're trying to do, North Korea. <laughs> so, you know, just doing a lot 
by virtue, even if it's metrics more than has been done before, isn't enough to make something successful. And I think that with Arc, Intel just bit off way more than they could chew. They seriously wanted to. Their first full stack that launched to have it be competing with the 3050 all the way up to the 3080. The A780 that they never launched was supposed to compete to beat the 3070 Ti and barely touch the 3080. And then they also wanted to have a DLSS killer overclocking the latest encoding, ray tracing performance. The first time out of beta, they wanted to compete with the most profitable GPU manufacturer on Earth who also has all of this software and also beat all their software at the same time. I don't think there's enough money on Earth to do that. Yeah. You, like, it just takes time and knowledge and get and wisdom and being in the game for a decade. They shouldn't have tried to compete with all of that. FSR already works. Why did you make a third-party open source FSR competitor? You didn't need one. Like so I think they should have had one like 300 millimeter squared die that's 448 execution units, 12 gigabytes of RAM. That's it. It only ever attempts to complete with a 3060. And maybe they have their own version of upscaling. And but it's just one thing and it doesn't try to beat everything at everything. And then they just use FSR for other stuff. And I don't know. I the fact that they tried to beat everybody at everything across an entire product stack is is nuts. And it I don't think there would have been enough money for it. And I think you have to think, well, they did it. They blew their money. It's like if you're playing an RTS and it's like, but look at all these knights I made. Well, yeah, all the enemies are pikemen. Yeah. I don't care how much money you spent. You built the wrong units. You're out of money. And now they're going to burn your town center if you're playing <laughs> Age of Empires. Because typically pikemen are really good against buildings, by the way. So I don't know. You know, I think they've spent the money. And from what I'm hearing, most of the talent has left AXG. Raja's gone. Most of the leadership's there is gone. The talented engineers have been hired by NVIDIA and AMD or Apple because they know those cards will actually launch. And what they kind of have left is the mid-level guys and some new hires, and they've wasted, lost all their money. So that's why they're struggling. They spent the money they had on the wrong things, and most of their best talent has left. Oh, yeah. And elsewhere in the company they've spent all of their things that are supposed to make profits immediately aren't really making money anymore so you have to put your this side project on the back burner uh <laughs> because it failed and yeah i don't know if they had just invested into something smaller maybe it would have been less of a it, maybe it would have succeeded or if it failed it wouldn't have been that big of a deal yeah yeah so i mean I don't know. And that's just where I think it sits to this day. They blew the money on the wrong things and they've lost all the talent because they left for other companies that are doing better and have the money to hire them at NVIDIA and AMD now. And now these other divisions like you bring up need the money more. So it's it's very hard to argue how this is going to be anything more than a zombie division of Intel mm -hmm. for the next three or four years. Now things start booming again. They keep a skeleton crew there so that one new card comes out every 10 years, two years, every not 10, every two years to keep the driver stack improving. Maybe, maybe the equivalent of Druid will be good, but I think that's all we're going to see, guys. I keep saying that. Mm -hmm. Curious, suspicious white man writes in. He says, with talk of DirectX storage, decreasing load times and asset streaming, an idea popped into my head. Why not just include an NVMe on a graphics card? I actually did an opinion piece about that, if you remember, Dan, when you were staying with me. Mm -hmm. in peoria uh he's 
And he says, as it turns out, such a product already exists, the AMD Radeon Pro SSG, right? I talked about that in the video a lot that Linus Tech Tips did a video on. I'd be really curious if DirectX Storage could utilize GPUs on board for one versus the other. Also, someone else, I forgot if I deleted the rest of his question, but there's also a 4060 Ti prototype shown by Asus uh, that has an NVMe drive on it. Uh, <laughs> and it's because the 4060 Ti only uses eight lanes for the graphics card. And so Asus said, well, then why don't we put an SSD on it? Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know. But that's not really the same thing. It's because it's still going to go back and forth. It's really not helping your load times unless it's built to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I, if that would ever need to be a mainstream thing unless they started putting in, like, accelerators into the card itself or something weird like that. Well, again, yeah. So that's something I hypothesized that something Raja Kadori thought they should do, by the way, if you're wondering. He was part of that Radeon SSG Pro thing. Mm-hmm. And it seemed pretty cool at the time. But when we talk about like all these putting an SSD on a graphics card, it has to be done by the manufacturer, like the designer, NVIDIA or AMD, because Asus just throwing it on there. It's not going to have any special the so- the software to make it do anything special. Uh, and I don't know. When I talk to developers now, they think this was an interesting idea a couple of years ago. But right now, a lot of them are just saying, just give me 64 gigs of RAM and a fast CPU. That'll be better. Yeah, and it I- might be cheaper, you know. And I think when we were having those uh, talking about that, I think what we finally settled on, what's probably going to happen is what piece, like we talked about earlier in this episode too, what PC always does is brute force. And maybe that brute force eventually just means like, like you say, 64 gigs of Ram, not, and not this weird novel solution <laughs> because sometimes just having more Ram help it, it is easier and cheaper. Right. And and it would just be so much simpler. It would just be so much simpler if all we did was have the CPU be strong enough to move the data at an SSD faster than the PS5, which Gen 5 SSDs are actually starting to get pretty reasonably priced now. And then we just had 32 gigabyte graphics cards. We do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. we don't need to do anything different than we've solved the problem. Um, compressed Earthblocks writes, and it says, Hello, Tom and Dan. Do you think YouTube channels and websites that do performance reviews and games should change their methodology. I see a lot of games tested and benchmarked, but mostly through looped runs at best, or it just not, or with in-game benchmarks that are only benchmarked for like a minute. These don't represent a true gaming session of an hour or more. I ask this because when I had my RX 6600, I noticed in games like Resident Evil 2, yep, I noticed in that game, or Resident Evil 8, after about an hour and a bit, I would get hitches and stutters, and it's because it was clearly going over VRAM after time. Yeah, I mean, I do that in my qualitative testing, as I call it, for my graphics card reviews. Um, you know, I, I think it is, you know, I'll say, you know, Gamers Nexus can buy all this equipment and have heat spots on the GPU, pay one of your guys to actually play one of those sections on an eight gigabyte card for an hour. You can afford to pay him to do that if you're getting one of those special telescope microscopes, right? I mean... <laughs> This is something I would expect. You, I don't think we need a hundred benchmarks. I think we need a dozen benchmarks of the latest games and a few old ones. And then you need to take some games and actually play it for an hour and see, is this different? Are there things I'm running into? Because in that testing, I also found like with the 3060 to 3070, yeah, I mean, in some games, the 3070 was only 30% stronger. But in Mountain Blade Bannerlord, once a battle went on for a while, uh, 
it was like 50% faster. <laughs> or it, maybe it doesn't need to be in every game, every game and every benchmark that they do something like this, but it would be nice to see some of the bigger reviewers at least put out a video where they cover do, does like graphic, I mean, does a uh, like performance, performance degenerate and to what degree with these cards with this capacity of ram where it's just like oh yeah after doing this video we found that cards uh, that have 16 or more gigs of ram don't really deteriorate in performance over the course of an hour and if you have 12 gigabytes they do so at this point and if you have eight gigabytes they start to do so at this point i mean right and that's something hardware and box found recently testing the 3070s they're like for couple of years now maybe some of these games were actually running low settings and you didn't realize it because it turns the textures to low whether you want it to or not because it cannot fit in eight gigabytes yeah so i mean the way i i think i would put it is you don't necessarily need this doesn't necessarily need to be a part of every review you do but having a video where you discuss that topic makes sense to me um yeah. because i think it would be a bit cumbersome if they were testing a dozen to two dozen games and you, the standard you'd expect is each person to sit down and play. I mean, the reviewer to sit down and play each of those games for like two or three hours for every review for every card. Cause that's literally impossible, but right. But instead of spending two hours benchmarking another 10 games, yeah. unless you want to make sure you get every game just can you also not afford to pay someone two hours to just double check are weird things happening in these games that seem to be bumping up against the VRAM limit you know the the 3070 you know because well the 3060 didn't run out of VRAM as often yes but the 3070 had divided by 3584 had 64% more CUDA cores <laughs> than the 3060 and there were games in Bannerlord where there was no VRAM issue, but with 200 enemies on screen, I was getting 50% faster performance. And I'm like, this feels like a 3050 at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, these cards are just both lopsided. Can we eight gigabytes over here, 12 over here? And then now it's better balanced. But that you know, that's the sense. type of stuff you only run into if you actually play the games. Mm-hmm. Um, but all right. I think that is it for this episode, Dan. Um, no joke, Jesse has been laying down right there the entire time waiting for me to give her this toy. <laughs> I think it's time then. <laughs> and there she is. <laughs> and she is very happy to have it back. <laughs> well, that's <Okay>. good. <laughs> All right. Well, any last words, Dan? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for watching, for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Moore's Law is Dead. YouTube channel and ring the bell button so you actually see all this upcoming content. A lot of you missed that giant Intel leak that was put out. Go watch it. There was like half a dozen architectures and exclusives in that. That was actually a lot of work. Um, and then additionally, um, just if you have the extra money, subscribe to the Moore's Laws at Patreon. The lowest tier, $2 a month, gets you. We just had a new die shrink come out that is... Um, uh, I think over an hour long looking at, I'm trying to remember it. Oh, yeah. Looking at ownership of the 7,900 XTX mm-hmm. for hour for, for a couple of weeks that we've had it. And also looking at current GPU pricing and asking questions. So that's just a whole other video. It's over an hour long just for patrons, with no ads in it. And then of course, higher tiers get this early ad free, free questions on those ends. And on this, the ability to ask us questions, access to the discord where tons of people will be discussing this episode a day before other people get access to it uh, and you can join the conversation with them. But otherwise, 
I'm exhausted. I am tired. I need to blow my nose and I need to make dinner. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sticking around everybody. (laughs) Bye everyone. (laughs) This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website. Moore's law is dead. Moore's law is dead and broken silicon are trademarks of their creator. Tom, that guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about side support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work hire gerard for audio work hire jean philippe for industrial design work or you're interested in working with carbon cry or carry no sugata as well you can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables or you can also mail us some love you can send letters or hardware donations to the following address moore's law is dead p.o box 60632 and nashville tennessee zip code 37206 Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, E. Jits, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jen Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Brian Riggleman, Sam Miller, MJV1, Deke, GZ Ziggy, SNAS Chalmers, Jerome Ferriat, Andrew S, Falcon Malev, General Trips, Jensen Wang, Dathan Mose, Eric Jackson, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Greg Wancha, Chris Rich, Nicholas Buckner, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Jesse Jeskowiak, 3DSBoy08, Hal Buma, Blake, Hardforum.com, Franco Frederick, Shredbird, Dr. Foreman, Jake223, Jake Martin, Zlicky, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Stephen Hart, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, 
Travis Goody, Nanyan, Sammy Malas, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Grove, Stephen, George Simkovic, Emmy World Chief, Win Wang, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Julian Leaked, I Should, Mark Raidmaker, The Boss Haas, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Judson N, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, B31337 Antics, Roger Davies, Cameron, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Meyer Tech Rants, Reginald Ari, T. Cottom, Jackson Miller, Gregory Sacker, Neith Rezink, The Eternal Dreamers, JSMMH, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Settler, ADMOS Danny, Loophole 35, Windstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shea, Milton, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, McDaffey, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-7-11-700K, Joe Foote, Hardland, Slushboss, C2, Jansen Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Keith Moore, Himsagung, Tails, 2299, Brian Wright, John, Sifos, Earth Taurus, The Forbidden Juice, Fenty CZ, Kiko Sado, Toka, RB Racer, Me, Valverga, AC, Colin Leonards, Lord Starstream, Michael Cozy, Dr. Mad, J. Mad, Alex Vega, Free D, John Swin, Rodent, Rodent, BC, Terminal Junk, E, Brian Wright, Judd Baldwin, Joe LaMartina, Kikum, Albert Gunn, Solarized 80, Christopher Ricks, Jimmy Whitworth, Good Lord, I clearly need to get some rest because I'm still sick and I almost didn't get through that. But also, thank you to Sahara for the music. Thank you for listening again, everybody.